Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's only one phrase I think I can begin this episode with. Right. Okay. I think I have to lean into the one phrase that this game is known for, for one phrase and one phrase only. In the words of John Champion and Georgia Lead Island. What a moment It's that not is. even worth doing a joke on. It's not even worth doing a bit around. This is the and Georgia Lead Island game. Yeah. We have got onto the and Georgia Lead Island game. It's yeah. the word and I think adds power there. Yes, it does. It does. When it came to putting a clip up on Twitter to mm. promote this episode of the podcast for, literally there was, there was points where I was watching the game and I thought, oh yeah, that's the point that I would normally clip up. Yeah, but yeah. Literally nothing compares to that moment. But that's, the, it's just, it is one of the all time great rugby world cup moments and it mm. has made this one of the most famous games. Yeah. Because this game gave us a completely unforgettable, iconic moment of rugby world cupping yes and i think that is something we are going to have to celebrate over the course of this episode of a podcast which is called the squid rugby world cup retrospective for some reason my brain was saying i'm leading into a theme tune now we'll put a theme (laughs) tune in and this is like the cold open we don't do that it no no but we could maybe do it in future if we did it would sound like this (laughs) He's trying to get me to sing something. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, it was, um, it was a good bit that. Was- I'm Robbie Oscar, you're to call me, and I'm joined as ever by Will Owen, rugby legend. D- debatable. So the game today is as teased. Georgia and their very tight 10-14 loss to Ireland, which is the way I always read rugby matches out. <laughs> I describe them as the team that lost. Yeah, it's just classic Ireland hatred. It really is. It really is. Their narrow loss to Ireland, their kind of iconic game, the Georgie Schoonin game, as it's also known. Indeed. One of the most fondly remembered midweek Rugby World Cup matches of all time. Correct, yeah. It's interesting because, you know what, you know, before we do this, Mm. I'm going to tell you everything I knew about this game going into it, and then okay. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing, okay? Yep. So everything I knew about this game going into it, other than, like, the teams, it was in 2007 and stuff, right? So I knew about two tries that were, were scored in this game. I knew who scored said tries, mm-hmm. and I knew the order they were scored in. I didn't know the times at which they were scored, mm. and that's more or less all of the context I had in this game, other than a handful of the players that were playing, and again, the fact that it was just a midweek game, but I figured that out rather than knowing that. I'll tell you what, I've just Googled the date, it was a Saturday. Was it? Does not have Saturday energy at all, this game. No, it's a shit Thursday night. It somehow happened 
on a Saturday. But because it's raining and it's dark mm. and the crowd are really on top of it and it's a big crowd packed into the tier 1v tier 2 game, yes. it's just got massive midweek energy. Yeah. And I refuse to accept it was a Saturday. So, yeah, can you tell me everything you knew about this game going into it? It took place on a Thursday. It was the game in which Georgie Skinner scores that interception try. Yeah. Will Greenwood and John Champion were doing the commentary because the commentary is the thing that comes I up. I did know that, yeah. And it's the sort of try that comes up in those like total rugby packages a lot. You know, when they used to do that, then it became just world rugby, didn't it? And then yeah. they stopped doing it and they just made bloody YouTube content instead. Like, it was just That's a great. hacks. Yeah. It's for hacks. No one of any value just makes YouTube content. And so it would have, like, it would show that try and it would show some clips of them doing, like, pick and goes. And then it would cut to, like, Georgie Skinning, say, you know, speaking in Georgian. And then over the top, a voice would go, We knew if we could keep the game to just four points, it could be ours. <laughs> That's kind of what this game was to me, to a great deal. I tried to kick the ball over the posts. Unfortunately, it went just to the right-hand side, so we didn't get to three points. Stuff like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly that vibe. It's exactly that vibe. <laughs> I wonder what that guy's doing now. I'd like to get I that guy well. on the pod. He's a, he'd be an ideal guest. Yeah, because he'd know all about the Tier 2 nations and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I, read that every word. If you've word. ever seen the Total Rugby videos that they used to put on YouTube, yeah. you know the guy. Oh, it's like the big freakout when, um, in January this year... The guy that did the dubbing for Nintendo Directs was different. Because they've had the same guy for like 10 years who just reads like all of these various Japanese announcements. And he just kind of reads over the top in very like, the new Legend of Zelda game will be really good. (laughs) And then they replaced him with a new guy and it was gutting. And I miss that guy who goes, we only committed four knock-ons. So that was a real positive. Yeah. Bring him back. Bring him back. Just to sit in the background of every commentary team, just in case something like, yeah, something foreign happens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh wait, no, hang on. I think he's there. He's there. He's coming into the room. No, he's not. Just in case anything foreign happens. <laughs> but unfortunately, he's joining the lawyers. Yes, he's sat with the lawyers. But unfortunately, we're not going to speak in foreign today. No, so he'll no have intention no jobs. to. No intention to. No. Which is a real problem in this game, actually. It's a point that's noticed in commentary that Georgia only had two players in their 22 <laughs> that spoke English. Yes. So one of them was Urshadza, wasn't it? Mm. The, the open side, who, whenever the captain was called over, Captain Zedkanidze, who only spoke Georgian, there would have to be two conversations happening. One of them to Urshadza in English from Wayne Barnes, who is the most English referee in <laughs> He's history. He's the most English man in history. Yeah. He is basically a crumpet. Like, when you hear Wayne Barnes speak in French, and he speaks excellent French. He um, but yes, but, but no, your he point. Does, he does. He, he speaks better French than I do. That's it. He speaks, he speaks good French. What he says in French is great. Just He speaks it in the most RP accent ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Where yeah. he just goes, Jouet! <laughs> you remember him speaking Russian? Sortier! Last yeah. World Cup, he's speaking, he's going, Neat! Yeah. Exactly. And look, he, I love that he does this, and I think it's really mm, important yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah. for the game to diversify yeah. and so on, that, you know, you can give people a level, level playing field. And people often roast Wayne Barnes for his attempts mm. to speak French, and I well, don't like that. Like, it's one of these really interesting things, right? Is Jamie Joseph encouraged Jimeno to go and play in New Zealand or England because he wanted him to learn better English in mm. order to be captain one day? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't speak any English, so it's going to be a problem talking to referees, and I want to make this guy captain because he's a yeah. great leadership option. Do you remember, That's something um, you've got to face as a tier two nation, and because it's so inconvenient to have to bring a flanker over to have a chat. Yeah. And like at one point, he starts back chatting the referee. He's like, well, you can't do this. You're not the captain. You can't actually talk <laughs> to me. I love that. I love that. Yeah, put him in his place. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's like, he turns to his and goes, can you say in Georgian this to him? 
what the fuck are you on about, sir? Yeah. Like, this is, you know, this is ridiculous. This is an outrage. Uh, they should have a yellow card. And then he says that in Georgian. Then Wayne goes, sorry, I don't get that. Right, now you say that back to me so I can say it to him in English. <laughs> he cuts that out completely. He just goes, I'm just going to have a go at him. Yeah, exactly. I'm abusing my power. <laughs> just, yeah. What the captain's actually said in Georgian is, I understand, sir, it will be better. Yeah. And then he said, you dirty cat, you yeah. bet, you dickhead. It's like, don't shoot the messenger, yeah. mate. <laughs> Just translating it. Yeah. Just translating it. Yeah. I might have slightly misunderstood my Georgian's not And of great. course, this is one of those anecdotes where actually it turns out Wayne Barnes speaks perfect Georgian the entire time. Yes. <laughs> And he just tuts his head and then says something pithy in Georgian at the final whistle. Yeah, yeah, he's just pretending yeah, he doesn't yeah. understand. Yeah, that would that would be great if it happened. One of those, you know, those those kind of conversations went viral on Facebook in 2007. Yeah, exactly. The era of this game. It does feel like something that would happen in a Peep Show episode. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when Sophie's dad takes the earphones off and goes, "What? You don't want to marry Sophie?" You know <laughs> that that kind of that kind of an incident. But sadly, Wayne Barnes isn't a Peep Show character. No. Where is that spin-off? Yeah. <laughs> the Zed Ganitza and Wayne Barnes peep show spin-off. I think Wayne Barnes' energy is actually somewhere slap bang in the middle of David Mitchell and Robert Webb. Holy shit. Like he's slap bang in the middle of like pedantic posh man and posh man in denial of being posh. <laughs> like you think Robert Webb's the more down to earth one, but I reckon like if he's had two drinks, he becomes a unbearable arsehole in the yeah, way David Mitchell's like I mean like, some stuff's come up about uh, of yeah, Robert Webb yeah he's it? massively transphobic a little bit homophobic yeah and there's sort of stuff in his background yeah and I bet he's likes a cheap laugh yes um, Wayne Barnes would never no no but I think I don't know I think there's something in the energy landing slap bang in the middle between those two so I think what if they replaced the two of them on <laughs> what if instead they remade Peep Show and Wayne Barnes was both parts <laughs> yeah <laughs> Why are you already getting rid of Ilya Zedganidze here? Or is, <laughs> is he like playing Johnson or something instead? He's, he's Olivia Coleman. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for Zedganidze's Oscar moment. <laughs> All these people that are so used to him just being this British actress who's on TV. <laughs> Zedganidze, the British actress. Everyone just says he's a Georgian second row. Yeah, like, yeah There's yeah. so much more to him than that. Then one day a Greek director is going to cast him in a film and he's going to win an Oscar for it and the, the rest is history. <laughs> we are in the process of getting this commissioned right now. I think so. We're very close. I, th- I can't see why this would be We're very hit. close. Yeah. So, <laughs> Georgia, head into this game, refereed by Wayne Barnes, as we mentioned. Which takes place in Bordeaux, and I think the Bordeaux crowd really buy into it. Like, they initially started this almost like groaning, like, right, we've got to watch Bloody Ireland win this. <laughs> okay, fine. And as Georgia start to stand up, they're like, wait a second, wait a second. This crowd gets so much more yobbish so fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, as soon as but, Ireland make their first knock on, they're like, oh, look at these shit bastards. But it's weird, because, like, you go in normally expecting a rugby crowd or something, you know, akin to, like, a top 14 crowd. Yeah. But, like, it starts as a tennis crowd who are there to clap <laughs> politely, but it ends as a, like, pro de duh crowd yes, exactly. who are paying for blood. Yeah. And, like, every time there's... I mean, there weren't many fights in this no. game. But every time there's, like, a mall that looks like it could be violent mm. in the second half, they're like, oh, okay, this is what we paid for. Whereas in the first half, it's like, oh, yeah, we're about to see, you know, 30 gentlemen go at each other. And you're right, there's just such a clear sense of progression. I say I say that, I split that in half. It's not it's not that long that it takes for them to suddenly start, as you say, baying for blood. It takes, like, 20 minutes for them to suddenly just turn on Ireland. But, yeah, there's a moment... But it is exponential from there on out. 
There's a moment where there's a big cheer as Magadaradze, the loose head, is seen with blood on his face. <laughs> and you're like, this is perfect. This is, they've gone pro data as heck. That's incredible. So, with, with all of this, should we look at the teams? I think we should. I think we should. Um, well, we do at the start of every episode, don't yes. we? Yes. <laughs> well, I think this is the thing, right? Ireland infamously named the most experienced Irish team in history. With 796 caps between them. It's ridiculous. This is pretty much their strongest team they could have named at the time. Yeah. So, to the point that like, Shane Hawkins back in from injury, who couldn't yeah. play in the previous game. You've got Ronan O'Gara at 10. You've got Brian O'Bloody Driscoll at 13 with Gordon Darcy inside him. It's a really good starting 15. Like, it's ridiculous. You want to look at it and go like, oh my god, this is the best they could have named. Yeah. You know, basically the team that scraped past Namibia and they're only just beating Georgia. But it's like, no, it's a really good team. You've just touched on the backs there, but like... Oh, the pack is ridiculous. The pack's ridiculous. Yeah, you've got Rory Best, albeit a younger Rory Best. O'Callaghan and O'Connell in the second row. Mm. Literally, how many better second row partnerships are there in this tournament? Oh, in this tournament, there's Matfield and Bota. Matfield and Bota. But you could ask the same Um, thing of all time and you still say Matfield and Bota. Yeah, exactly. There's so few that you would pick like, over They those are two. the third most capped together second row pairing of all time. Yeah. One of the most celebrated also played, what, like 200 games for Munster? Yeah, <laughs> together. exactly. Exactly. Just endlessly iconic as the all-time Irish second row pairing. And just like watching back O'Callaghan on this podcast mm. where we've done 2011, we've done this, we've done the 09 Lions tour and so on, like, the more I realised just how, how much I undervalued O'Callaghan at the time, mm. I think he's such a solid second row and there is one point in the second half of this game where he gives away a really stupid penalty. Mm. And I have this moment of, of realisation where I go, wait, he never did that? Yeah. Like, that's so yeah, characteristic yeah, yeah. for him. And I think as a kid, when I watched O'Callaghan, I looked at him and because he was so massive and part of the, that monster pack, I always assumed he was a cynical bastard, but it's just not the case. No, no, no. Like, no. he no, was that's just it. really yeah. solid at everything he wanted from him. And again, like, I guess uh, you bring up Bucky's Borter. Like, mm. it was one of those things, every time Bucky's Borter did anything, you expected that it was illegal. Yes. Um, yeah. And that meant when he did something that wasn't illegal, you'd kind of go like, oh, interesting. Whereas with Donico Callahan, he just has the energy of somebody who gives away loads of penalties. And he just doesn't. He's such a good lock. Yeah. So early on in this game, right? Not early on, but about 53 minutes in this game, early in the second half, Rory Best comes off, Joe Flannery comes on, which means that Ireland have seven of the eight of the Munster pack that start the Hiding Cup final the wow. following year and win it. That's mental. And then you also have Agara and Stringer as halfbacks. You have Hickey on the wing. Like, it's the really strong, like, that peak Munster team that won two Hiding Cups. And the one guy in that pack who isn't Munster is Simon Easterby. Yes. Right? Who is a brilliant player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gone on to make a brilliant coach since as yes. well. Currently defence coach with Ireland. And doing a fantastic job. By all accounts, I mean, you know, I've heard they won some tournament this year, but apparently uh, I didn't do a tweet celebrating it, so it didn't happen. So, yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant Irish team, particularly yeah. that pack, and particularly the 9 and 10 they had, who were calibrated to get the most out of that pack. Yes, yes. They are both kind of like simultaneously the most and least shit-housy halfback. Yeah, yeah, have. yeah. Neither of them you find so often, like, chirping at the opposition and so on. Mm. But when it's necessary, they go for you. Stringer is one of those players who you hated because he was so bloody good. (laughs) Like, his pass was absolutely lightning fast. He had a pretty decent kicking game, organised his forwards, was just loud as anything on the Mm. pitch. 
And he was so good that as a, as a non-Irish fan, you looked at him and just thought, I just really want to hit you, you know? <laughs> I just really want to punch you in the face for being so good. We've always talked about this idea that one day when we've gone through all the World Cups, men's and women's, and we've done what? The 87 Premiership, the Reese Webster movies. Yeah, yeah, the African qualifying. There's a, uh, uh, I think there's a Pro Day Duh we have to watch we've at got, some we've point. All the Pro Day Duh. Once we work through all of that, yeah. trees, you know, we've been through all of them. We should eventually hand this over to two other siblings yes and just have them go over the entire yeah all the rugby world cups and i really want those siblings who were probably not born at this point Mm -hmm. because it's going to take us a bloody long time yeah i want those siblings to discover peter string (laughs) (laughs) well because having never heard of him yeah because i knew peter string and i watched him play live you know i remember him as a player if I were a kid coming through now and discovered this like entirely got a bald, guy hairless, Peter Stringer playing tiny nine. monster nine who was just like a rat <laughs> called Peter Stringer, the sheer sheer delight I would feel seeing this yes. weird little like bald rat You're run around right. for a he's exactly monster the sort of player. Island. I would become obsessed with him if I'd never seen him. Play yeah, before yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And go like, oh, it's just bloody Stringer doing his thing. Yeah. Gets in a fight he's and he Peter throws Stringer, throws the ball at a million miles an hour to his fly off, and then slaps <laughs> someone, and then runs <laughs> to the next ruck, and then tells tells his forward he's too slow. You know, just that way Peter Stringer does. He's bloody Stringer. He always looks like he's scheming at rucks, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he looks exactly. like he's scheming. I just feel like at every breakdown, he just feels like before I pass the ball, I must do some kind of antics. Yes. I must call someone a prick. <laughs> I'm, I must slap someone on the floor. I must take someone's boot off and throw it. And then I pass the ball. And the thing is, his speed of service is ridiculously good. Yeah. Almost yeah. throughout his career. And yet he would always have time to niggle. Oh, and it was yeah. never, Love he never niggle. threw a punch. No. Nope. Never anything too bad. He was just incredibly monster. One of the most <laughs> monster players. And yet now you see him come up on punditry and he's extremely softly spoken. Yeah. <laughs> it's so strange. Like when he first came up on punditry, I thought like, oh, I'm going to really dislike you, Peter Stringer. <laughs> and then it's just like, oh no, he's just a really, just genuinely quite nice man. But this is the part of it, right? Is we think of his on-pitch niggle. Mm. But you remember, he spent all day and night around that particularly nasty, like, <laughs> wonderfully nasty monster team. He had the biggest mates in the world. Yeah, like. exactly. But, like, if you're spending your day and night around Paul O'Connell and Donico Callahan, you're not picking fights on the day-to-day, no, are you? No. You learn to be placid. Yeah, and you can go into a huddle, like, by the way, number one's a cunt, so nail him in the breakdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know O'Connell is swinging for the next opportunity. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's like their kind of like re- reconnaissance rat that they sent yes. out yes. to sneak out the biggest cunts on the opposition team. It's a mark of what a good player is that he managed to gain the respect of that pack in yes. that manner. You know, Glitz is the only one who can speak English. Take him out, and they've got no idea what they're being penalised for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Peter Stringer's great. As I said, that whole Irish team is much better than the scoreboard suggests. It's just, it's a very, very good Irish team full of very, very good players, most of whom I miss. Also, mm. Ronan O'Gara. Yes. <laughs> Can I observe a moment? For I don't think, it was only seeing one of them tackle the other that made me realise what a wonderful job nominal determinism has done on Stringer and Gorgonze. <laughs> <laughs> like, Gorgonze has come out as this Godzilla-esque mammoth of a man who is completely impenetrable, and Stringer... Yes, he looks like he should be called he's Stringer. Just stringer. That's he what looks he is. like a Stringer. Yeah. You're right. Like, you're but, so like, spot on. You look at that but... photo, the infamous photo of all the Stringer brothers. Yes. Him with all of his siblings. And they're all five exactly the same one guy. And bald. <laughs> exactly the same guy just next to each other. 
It's great. like all, when you see all the stunt doubles lined up next to the actual actor. You know what the weirdest thing about Peter Stringer is, mm. considering his rugby career? Mm. How straight his teeth are. Yeah. He's got extremely great looking teeth. He's had work done. Speaking of work, the Georgia team. Because the they team. work supremely hard. Yes. It's a really good Georgian team that we've yeah. got in front of us here. A lot of players we're both big, big fans of. And it's kind of the first great Georgian team. Yeah. So they've qualified for the first time in 2003. And then this was them attempting to step up. Yeah. So they'd very much gone into this tournament. They'd been quite upfront. Their target was to win a game. And obviously they're playing Namibia. That's the one to target. Yeah. That's the one where they really feel the pressure's on. But I love that they went into the tournament very much. We want to win a game. That could be any game. Yeah. Because they gave Argentina a real crack. They did. They were great against Argentina. Do you think then, do you think this is not quite the strongest team they've named here against Ireland? Because like you look at, we both raved over McAnelly and how great he was in the previous game. And he's on the bench here. Mm. And so that was the first thing that surprised me. So they've dropped, not dropped, they've rotated out McAnelly and they've brought in that three-quarter line. We'll talk about the entire thing. In the centres, they've got David Kasharava, a favourite of ours, the nightmare himself, playing 12. They've got Malka Zurjikashvili playing at 13, who's kind of a utility pack, played across the back line. Excellent player. Yeah. Has a brilliant game here, as we'll get into. Georgie Skinnin comes on on the right wing with Georgie Elijkashvili on the left wing. So yeah, McAnelly goes onto the bench. And in fairness... I totally get why you go, oh yeah, he's a man who can make an impact. Yeah. Well, you, that's the thing, right? You look at their back row, they rotate entirely. Yeah. I mean, so uh, Shikladze moves from six to eight. Yeah. But the other two players change around him. And their front row, again, they change entirely. So they're rotating this team massively. I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. This is Georgia's second team playing against Ireland's first. Yeah. And Georgia almost beat them. But I think it is one of those things where... Weirdly, that's the better team for them to put out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're fresh. They're absolutely raring to go. Yeah, they're fired up as anything. This is their one chance. The Georgian national anthem said it all. Like, there was a bit where, and I don't, I didn't facially recognise who it was, but Mm. one of the Georgian forwards winks at the camera as it goes past during the national anthem. Mm. And just, you can just tell how insanely fired up they are. And it's their World Cup final in a way, all these players. It's their one chance to play a tier one nation. Well, most of these players have never played a Tier 1 nation, right? Yeah. Uh, John Champion mentioned in the commentary there were six players who played against England in 2003. Yeah. There's a handful who do carry over. Yeah. And obviously there's plenty that go on to play in 2011, even 2015, even some of 2019. Yeah. There is a lot of carryover. There's a lot of it is that kind of young breakthrough first Georgian team that kind of took the world stage and this is them starting to mature. But most of them hadn't had a chance like this before. Yeah. You know, they'd never been given an opportunity like this. And especially if they're not seen as first choice and they're not going to play in the game they're likely to win. This is the game for them to target. This is the game for them to really spend everything. And I do think, rather than it being a second team, first team, whatever, mm. I, I do think, particularly the back line, I look mm. at for Georgia, every single player that's picked there is clearly done with the intention of frustrating Ireland. Yes. Because the, every single player in that back line from 9 to 15 has one of the following traits either they will hit you and keep you hit, okay? <laughs> yeah. So like David Kasharava, for instance, as I say, he's a mm. big favourite of both of ours. He's kind of called like the Georgian Conrad Smith, you know, they call yeah. him the Nightmare. The, I think well, I think this game was a large part of him getting that nickname, the Nightmare. Yeah. And I don't know when it started or where it originated, mm. but the reason he was always known as the Nightmare was because opposition players, when they came up against him, typically had the worst game of their career. Correct. If yes. you played against him, Conrad Smith did it in 2015, we'll cover that game one day, and Gordon Darcy here has a horrible game playing 12 yeah, opposite him. him. 
And, and Brian O'Driscoll makes a few errors, like gets hit by him a few times. Ogara as well. You've got a few players really struggling there, and that was always the beauty of him as a rugby player. It's my kind of my favourite kind of player. <laughs> Somebody where like there's been games where his team has lost by sixty odd points, mm. and yet he has been better than his opposite man. Yeah, yeah and yeah. his opposite man has been a world class player. Yet he wasn't a world class player himself at any point in his career. Mm. He was always a top end international, like on the brink. He know? was a leveler though. That's like, it. He could essentially turn the opposition midfield into like a third team. No one has a hit list like his. No. Like, the list of players he has completely outplayed in Rugby World Cup games and so on is genuinely... It's just... The, I don't think there'll ever be a, another player who has it's that. It's the absolute beauty of him as a rugby player, though. Yeah. It's like, he he wasn't flashy. He didn't do much himself. He wasn't one of those players that would outshine someone because he was an individual talent. No. He would just cancel out other players and yeah. just make them shit. He put Gordon Darcy on his ass like four or five times. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. So that's one characteristic I'm There's saying. a moment in the second half, around the hour mark, where Ireland are solidly under the pump, mm. where it's after the try and they're behind. And Gordon Darcy sees him in front of him and goes for the most ambitious, like in his own 22, the most ambitious, stupid forward pass imaginable. Yeah. And it's like... Darcy gets back up and he's got this look on his face if I've never had anything like this. Yeah. Of sheer like anger and frustration. He can't believe what he's done. And because he's not angry with, he looks angry and confused. But the pass is so forward, he's not angry with the referee. He's angry and confused with himself on why he's doing this. That's it, yeah. He hits that point where he's completely lost how to play rugby. Because this guy who's, you know, one of Ireland's greatest 12s of the professional era, like a really solidly respected player who went on to win basically everything you can win in the game other yeah. than a World Cup quarterfinal or above was just leveled out completely to have yeah. the worst game of his Get career. Outplayed by someone he'd never heard of. Yeah. It's by this like mad. bearded Eastern European man. Yeah. So was, especially at this point, they were doing no video analysis on Georgia. No, of course you know, not. They weren't checking in their opposite number. Of course not. I'd say that's one characteristic that this Georgian backline might have had. Yeah, and like so Kasharov the- was twenty two at this point. You wow. know, this is a young yeah. Young edition of him. So yeah, that's one characteristic that this whole Georgian backline will have had, is Mm. they can hit somebody and just defensively be really annoying and just really spoil a few island attacks that Mm. they maybe should capitalise on. And the other one is having a bloody huge boot. Yes. Oh, the sheer size of everyone they have in this backline's boots. They've got sort of, I'd say, three or four kickers in this backline. So they've got Merkvokashvili at 10. Yeah. They've got Malkaz Urjavashvili at 13, who I didn't realise had such a huge boot until watching this game. Enormous. But he's their left foot kicking option at this mm. point. And then they've got fullback Otar Bakalara. Yeah. Who, again, is brilliant at kicking. Yeah. Sam Karadze at nine as well. Sam Karadze, brilliant game with the boot. Yeah. And it just really smart got this player. kind of spine where every other player in the team has an enormous boot. Yeah. You're kind of cycling through and you're never more than one pass away from someone who can just thump it miles. And it's great. It's the most frustrating thing to play against. Somebody but, kicks the ball 30 metres downfield and then you've got, you know, David Kasharova coming up and smashing you. Well, How do you get around half, that? So the second half in particular, I suppose we'll get onto this as we go on. Yeah. But Ireland realise what sort of game they're in. They realise it's an arm wrestle. The weather's really started. They've fallen behind. All of this has started happening. And at that point, they start kicking more and more. And the first half, they're playing far, attempting to play far more looser rugby and yeah. what have you. And then they start to try and shut things down. And O'Gara's at 10. And he goes, no, I'm the master of this. Yes. And every time he keeps finding himself in a situation where there's four Georgians who can reply to what he's doing. And it's only him from the Irish team. Yeah. It's like Hogan puts a ball out on the full. Gervin Dempsey sends an absolutely horrible kick. Uh, at one point, I think it completely on top in a kicking duel at the end of the first half. And then Dempsey just sends a horrible one out. And you end up with Bakalaya. They're just thundering the ball yeah. like out 
on the fall from inside zone 22 out into the opposition half and suddenly Ireland have lost like 50 metres from the kicking job where they're completely on top. That's it, yeah. The only real kicking options in the Irish backline are O'Gara and to an extent O'Driscoll. Yeah. But he's playing 13. Yeah. And he has to marshal the entire attack and defence. There's only so much you can play. And he's also their best attacking weapon. Yeah. So they're often, when it's getting into O'Driscoll, it's because they're trying to do something more adventurous. Yes, exactly. There's only so much he can do. It's such a fascinating thing the way George drag themselves into this game constantly every Mm. time Ireland throws something at them. I absolutely love it. So, should we move on in the general direction of the game itself? Sure, we are doing this in record time, but the reason for that is this is such a packed We basically game. just want to talk about Georgia's skin in for like an there's, hour. There's, yeah, and just Georgia generally. Yeah. Like, they're so good. But before we do that, I want to quickly talk about the commentary team. Yes. So, we have, as you've mentioned, John Champion and Will Greenwood. Yes. So, John Champion. John Champion. To talk about him first. I want you to, because I know that we agree on this, I want you to tell me what you think of when you think of John Champion. I think of the commentary on Pro Evo on 3DS. Yes, me too. <laughs> me too. He was the commentator on Pro Evolution Soccer. And yes, he was very much a football commentator, yes. was John Champion. And as soon as his voice came in here, and I remember his commentary on the 2015 mm. Rugby World Cup. Yeah, I do. And at that point going, wait, John Champion? He Wasn't he the guy from Pro Evo on 3DS? But yeah, so I first heard his voice on here and thought, okay, this is definitely one of those cases where they've asked him to learn what rugby is, mm. like two weeks before the Rugby World Cup starts and teach him all positions and stuff. But to John Champion's credit, I really like him on this game. Here's the thing, right? If they'd asked him to spend two weeks working on what rugby was before the tournament, he had spent those deep in a camp in Tbilisi studying the Georgian team and the way of their country. Yes. And he came across as such an expert on Georgia and on the team and he knew the players, he knew about them, he could tell you when they won the first caps, who they were, yeah. etc. Proper professional job. Proper like Clearly really everything... hard working. Yeah. Like I'd much prefer that to somebody who's sportive rugby mm. but doesn't do research on yes. tier two players. Yeah. Like I think it was really good kind of the equal weighting him and Will Greenwood both gave these teams. Yeah. Like, I really, really liked it. He clearly worked really, really hard on preparing for this game and viewed it as such a big deal to be commentating on it. I loved it. And look, Will Greenwood, we've made fun of him in the past. We've talked about him a lot. His commentary on the line has taught still one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard. His bizarre, like, tangents about ironing boards or, like, going to a safari park or whatever it was that was on his mind. Still very odd. He is great on this game. Really good value. He had so much value. Like, perfectly really into it insightful has things to say about both teams it doesn't hold back on ireland but isn't just needlessly bellowing into them and Correct. gives georgia credit for that's everything that's it yeah that's the thing that my main takeaway is how willing he is to credit georgia for yeah. everything they do well and as a center himself he praises kasharava for mm. how defensively good he was yeah and, and he clearly has holds Sam Karadza to such a high standard as yes. a scrum off. Yes. And like every time he does something well, he talks about it. And every time he did something badly, he spoke about it in equal weighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it isn't just, there's a moment quite early on when they talk about how big Gogodze is. And you're like, oh, that's going to be the level of it, isn't it, right? They're going to just talk about who the biggest players are. And maybe if one player stands out, if you're skinning, whatever, then they talk about him. But... No, it's so much more than that. They are properly invested in this team. They know the team and they want to talk about them. They want to champion them a bit. They want to John champion <laughs> nice, them a bit. Nice. They want to Greenwood them a bit. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So we get the anthems. Yes. And Georgia, go. Yeah, right? (laughs) Fancy this one. Because the Georgian anthem is an epic. Oh, God, it's so good, isn't it? And I feel like it's a sort of song that you physically can't just hum along to. Yeah. You have to just absolutely scream your guts out to it. It's the sort of thing that plays in the background of like a boss battle in Final Fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. To say Georgia is only became a country quite recently. Mm. All these people who say modern music isn't any good. (laughs) So much better than the 90s when they wrote the Georgian anthem. Yeah. You weren't born in the wrong generation, mate. Which side were you on? Oasis Blue or the Georgian National Anthem? Obviously the Georgian National Anthem. Yeah, who wasn't? Yeah. Which one of those is belted out rugby World Cups always? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Which one of those is Good they pumped up? Georgia don't come out and start singing Roll With It, do they? (laughs) (laughs) What if they made their anthem song (laughs) 2? But, but then song, again, song two song, would be a hilarious national they're anthem. Just, they're just singing woo-hoo! 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 Seals, Seals. If they did, what if they did it like Murrayfield? They did like an instrument, like a <laughs> acapella section, and the anthem was song two. And they're just all these really hard blokes with beards standing there going, woo-hoo! And then you cross to the other anthem and they're going slowly walking down the hall, faster <laughs> than a cannonball. Where were you when we were getting high? I wouldn't know. So the Irish anthem, however, they have a little flourish on here that I quite like. So you know that bit on Island's Call where they start playing the music at the start before they cut in? And they yeah, start yeah, yeah, yeah. It? Right. Over that little bit of like instrumental at the start, they just have a man with a very deep voice shout, Island! Island! <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Which I think they should have everywhere. Confuses the hell out of Brian O'Driscoll. He's yeah, there going, yeah. am I meant to join in with that? And you've got a few players like, oh, have we skipped like, the chorus? Are mm. we getting far ahead? And it sounds like a different melody. It's all very baffling. All the players look confused. Maybe this is what did it. Maybe it's like, you remember when Joe Schmidt blamed the them heads, only narrowly beating Italy on the team bus arriving late? Yeah. You remember when Greg McWilliams blamed his players for everything the RFU and he'd been doing. Yeah. Yeah. You remember this time here where Eddie O'Sullivan blamed the one guy shouting over the anthem <laughs> for them only beating Georgia by four points? Yeah. Yeah. It's just an Irish tradition at this point. Clearly, um, clearly. Do you remember that time that someone blamed me for Jonathan Sexton having a bad run of form? No. No, it no, happened. So there's another point on the anthem, right? And I think like it kind of sums up the approaches of this game perfectly. Okay. Which is these crying, angry men with beards who want to just beat everything before The them. Georgian anthem. The Georgian anthem. Yes. The Georgian anthem. That's what the Georgian anthem's like, right? You then cut to the Irish anthem, 
And we go from a couple of players singing to we cut up to the crowd and there's a man dressed in the stupidest leprechaun costume you've ever seen with a flute doing like a whimsical little like hoo-hoo, look at me, aren't I kooky <laughs> bloody thing against the like fire and aggression and passion and bloody molten pouring out of all the Georgians' beards. And the godzoness. Yeah. And like you counterpoint those and you're like, oh, obviously one of these teams is going to play out their skin and the other one's going to go, woohoo, woohoo. <laughs> and just do nothing. I can't remember who it was that I saw on Twitter once said, like, it's kind of unfair that, like, you have to hear La Marseillaise and then see Ireland sing a political compromise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a bit of a mismatch right there. <laughs> that half the players don't even really believe in. But it is a banger. It is a banger, is the thing. Ireland's cool. I'm a fan of it. It was, like, the favourite of the Japanese when they're, you know, mm. speaking to Japanese fans who are adopting all the anthems and singing them all, the Irish was often the favourite. Okay. So, like, they had, like, a side hustle alongside the Rugby World Cup where it's, like, a mini Eurovision of all the yeah, anthems yeah, yeah, type yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. That's a great idea for a Rugby World Cup, though. That is. That anthem is. Eurovision. Everyone enters one player. Yeah. Well, we should do episodes deep diving into each anthem. This is a whole other podcast. It's a whole other podcast. So the game kicks off. Yes. And immediately Georgia find themselves just outside the Irish 22. Yes. About on the 22 meter line. Yeah. And I think for many watching this live, the entire game flashed before your eyes. <laughs> but certainly with the context of knowing what this game is famous for, very even different, more so. isn't it? Yeah. So Georgia get the ball pretty much on the 22. And after recovering the ball from the set piece and everything, they go for a pick and go <laughs> in first phase. Then they go for another pick and go right on the same rock. They don't even drive out a bit. They don't pop it out At or which anything. point, the clock strikes the 40-minute mark. <laughs> Every <laughs> rock takes about three days. Georgia do nine pick and goes. <laughs> and in that time, they make about four inches. <laughs> They're just picking and going into the same rock, like into their own legs. Well, that's because they have a planning meeting between each pick and go. <laughs> yeah. Like, it takes about an hour for them to recycle the ball. And they're just... They look like they don't know passing is an option. No. They're fundamentally viewing this as a different sport. Yeah. Where you just pick and drive and pick and drive and try and hold the other team out. Like some sort of weird, like, 15-man tug-of-war. George's entire attacking strategy in this game is (laughs) have eight lads who are 20 stone plus. Yeah. Well, there's one point where they do a pop pass and I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> like they pop it up it's to a, a prop who's waiting next to the rock and you're like, hold on guys, this is a bit out there, a bit avant-garde. They lo- love it's doing that. some Eddie Jones shit here, look at this. Whenever they did pass the ball, they loved doing that 1987 thing where they slightly turn the ball away from the contact and like present it yeah, back to yeah. the next guy and do like a fake maul type thing. They loved doing that every time the ball was passed. Not as much as they love slow ball. They love, oh my god, yeah. But, like, you could do that thing on YouTube where you skip five seconds in between breakdowns regularly. I did that a couple of times. <laughs> and once they did it, and it was suddenly on the other side, and they were 20 metres downfield, I was like, what happened there? <laughs> yeah. What happened there? I'm used to them just picking and driving over and over again for nice successive phases. No exaggeration. And, like, you talk about the fact that they made four inches on their, what, four or five pick-and-goes, mm. or nine pick-and-goes, rather, that you said <laughs> they do, massively underselling it. Of course, the implication of that is they get turned over. Yes. They get turned over. I think it's Simon Easter who gets the, the first turnover of the game. 
as an Irish fan, you go, this is going to go really well. They've already blown their entire attacking strategy. <laughs> and we've turned over. Yeah, exactly. This is going to be a walk in the park. And stringer! Here's the other thing, is that Georgian rucks are the least clean you've ever seen in your yes, life. I know. Like, it's a bunch of men standing up near the ball. They're not low. They're not in good body positions. They're just all stood around. And because there's enough of them there, no <laughs> one's so challenging. so huge. Yeah. That, like... <laughs> Have you ever tried shifting a wall when there's a ball on the other side of it? No, you're effectively breaking into somebody's house when but you're trying to it, get that ball. Right. Like, either, if you want to clear out a breakdown, you can enter low, you can drive hard, you can kind of commit and, like, you know, kind of eat up the space, win the race, take up, you know, yeah, like yeah. tackle a tackler, Elling in, all of that bullshit. Or you can just take one of the rocks from Stonehenge and plop it <laughs> yeah, next to the exactly. ball carrier. Like, you've got two options here, and Georgia go for the latter. Yeah, and you'd think there's some kind of great extended metaphor about how technique is better than power, than than physical size and weight and so on. In this case, in this game, Georgia win that first breakdown and it's just like, no, like we are all just going, we're just titans, we're all fucking huge. They're like, their rock technique is genuinely amongst the worst I've ever seen in a professional era. And yet I think they get turned over once. Yeah, like a few times. Like, Wallace wins, like, a crucial turnover on the try line. And you're like, oh, I didn't think he could do that. I thought he yeah. just, like, he had to walk round too much to get there. It's so funny, the way that they just don't commit to actually do winning rucks at all. No. They just all stand around, all eight of them. And they just go, well, we're only going to have to move one metre, because we've agreed not to pass the ball. Yeah. We're only going to have to move one metre to the next ruck. So all eight of us will just shift by a few inches to the right. And then all just stand there and go, come at us. You can't knock us over. There's loads of us. We outnumber you. It looks like there's no more seating in a gentleman's club. (laughs) (laughs) And they all just stood around with their bags and drinks. Exactly. Genuinely, if you pause, you can probably see pints in their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cigarettes. Yeah. Taking a slow drag in between scrums. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And then Ireland, meanwhile, are waiting at the bar, waiting to be served the ball. The first turnover they get... You go, a oh, great walk in the park this is. This is going to be great. And then Stringer mm. throws an absolute rock that completely misses Ogara back into his own 22. Ogara has to mop it up on his own trial line and get rid of it. Potentially a sign of things to come from Stringer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not exactly on a string. Yeah, a bit of a horror start for Stringer. But yeah. they recover it. And it ends up with Georgia find themselves, like after Ireland do manage to clear it, on sort of the five meter line or the you know near the touch line just inside their own half mm. and ireland just do it's a dumb like needless hands in a rug penalty yeah but i think a part of it was especially in this era before referee analysis you're testing what you can get away with early yes on. you know if you're if you're david wallace and you're simon easterby you're kind of giving it a go and they're and both very smart flankers i don't yeah. blame them for giving no 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 i think, like, I think it's, it's probably a good thing to in try in the last that. 10 minutes it's a dumb penalty in the first yeah. 10 minutes is fine Absolutely agree. Like they're both smart enough flankers. That yeah, you know they're doing that for a reason. You've got you've got to work out what the referee's going to let you go away with. Yeah, on that day. That's absolutely. I mean. But bloody Merab Kaviracash really steps up and goes, "It's my time, boys." And so I wrote in my notes, "Merab time." Merab time. He misses it. Yeah, yeah, he but misses it. But it gives it's him a really in the bloody process. difficult kick. Yeah, it's from forty meters in the corner. Yeah, like, uh, and he absolutely wellies it, and yeah, unfortunately misses, but. Good on him for going for it because, you know, 
points are precious, you know? Yeah. And they mean prizes. And I mean, I did spend a few... There's a few times in this early stages where Georgia find themselves just inexplicably in Irish territory because they're making errors. Yeah. And a large part of it is Georgia squeezing it. But I think, honestly, in the first 15 minutes, Ireland are just totally inaccurate. Yeah. And Georgia then get a sense of that and they start creeping on and going like, we can force these and things get worse and worse for Ireland. I did have a th- think about mm. this, actually, because as you said, there's, there are some unforced errors by Ireland. And Ireland looked weirdly nervous in the first 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Which really makes you think, why? Yeah. Because yeah. in the previous game, they lost to Namibia and they looked like there's a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, yeah. And then usually the way a team responds to this is they're quite composed. A tier one team in particular mm. is they're quite composed. You know, like you look at how France started that game against Namibia that we covered yeah. last week. Yeah, yeah. You know, they really came up, blew them out the water in the first 10 minutes after underperforming the previous week. Makes you question how Eddie O'Sullivan responded to the Namibia loss. You can only imagine that he gave them an absolute rocket all week and just put loads of pressure on them and said, not only do you have to win, you have to get a bonus point. The performance has to be 10 out of 10, blah, blah, blah. And they had a level of nerves to play against Georgia. Should never be the case. So Brian Driscoll said after the game, it's like we spent the best part of four years preparing to be tested at the highest level. Then some imposters went in and sat the exam for us. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good analogy. Which, that is exactly what it is. The island... They look like the Irish players, mm. but I'm used to O'Gara being the coolest head. I'm used to Stringer just being no first, no nonsense, just excellent scrum half play. Yeah. I'm used to Darcy just being solid and dependable all the time. And none of those players are. Like, Hawkins making errors left, right and centre. Gordon Darcy is being absolutely shamed by this He's random dominated MP. Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then you've got, yeah, like Ronan O'Gara, who actually I think has a solid game. He's I think he's of, good. I think he's probably the standout in the Irish team. I think, maybe? I think he used to be actually as good. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Bruno Driscoll's pretty Bruno, damn good. Yeah, he? he's, but it whatever. doesn't really count. But there's a handful of others, like O'Connell and O'Callaghan, O'Callaghan to, to an extent. But anyway, mm. like O'Gara, as you say, plays very well in the end, but I still wouldn't have said he outplayed Marab Kurokashvili. No, I don't think he did at all. I don't think I he think did. Kurokashvili's I don't think he fantastic. Close. I think he was yeah. one of these best Irish players but that's not to put him on a level with the Georgian players yeah exactly no I 100% agree and it's you say that like in a naturally tongue-in-cheek way but I know you don't mean it as such because Georgia were just so fantastic yeah so I I can only assume that Eddie O'Sullivan had just been horrible to them in the week and uh, these days O'Sullivan probably isn't the most highly thought of coach so I don't know it's easy to kind of make assumptions about these things so it's the, the thing you're talking about, Irish leads up, right? Yeah. And uh, this was kind of a problem they ran into. So Dennis Hickey, yeah, who was on the wing for Ireland in this game, we talked about in the previous game for his radio DJ antics. Yeah, big um, fan of Nick Drake. Huge Nick Drake fan. Just really, really into him. And Nick Cave and various Nicks. Yeah. Just loves Nicks. You know, the Nicks, the team. Yeah, Stevie uh, Nicks. Stevie Nicks. I was going to say my next Nicks. So he told an anecdote about the lead into this, right? So the IRFU had basically booked a hotel like 18 months in advance before the tournament. They'd gone like, we're going to sort everything sorted <laughs> super, super far in advance. So they'd booked this hotel right in the city centre in Bordeaux that meant they would have been, you know, next to the stadium. It would have been a really close walk. Hickey talks about how nice the rooms were. He said, it just means the World Cup would have been on our doorstep. We would have been mixed up with the fans and we would have been in the heart of this beautiful city like Bordeaux. And actually, players feed off that kind of stuff because it's just a sense of occasion and whatever. But actually, we arrived in France and discovered that hotel wasn't built. What? So they booked this hotel that was under construction, assuming it would be finished by the following September, and it wasn't. 
Oh my god, what? So, where did they stay? So they stay. They had to book another hotel quite last minute because they arrived in France and it wasn't. They didn't arrive in Bordeaux, but they arrived like a month. Like it was like a month or so before the tournament. They realized the hotel they'd booked hadn't been finished yet. It was oh still my being built. God. So he said, as a result, we had to stay at a hotel half an hour outside the city in an industrial estate near a conference center. Oh my god! It was like staying in an airport hotel for four weeks. <laughs> You don't blame the tournament on that, but when those things add up together, it just starts to give you an understanding of how the little things can start to go against you. I mean, yeah, yeah. So the team was suddenly, they were having to travel like half an hour to their training base, 20 minutes to the training base, half an hour plus to the stadium that in the city they were staying in. It all started to add up. They had all these like tiny little bits that suddenly started to yeah. go against them. And at that point, probably everything bugs you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if Eddie Joe Sullivan was getting on their tits, then, you know, they'd have... They'd it's have been... like France in 2015 complaining about being based in Croydon. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, checks I out. can't blame them. Yeah. But if you're ba- you're, you've gone to France and you're like, we're going to Bordeaux, we're going to be in the middle of the city centre, it's like the most beautiful town centre, we'll report back later this year <laughs> when we're there, in amongst the fans, you know, like, beautiful sites, countryside, town, everything else, bloody wine, it's France in it, it's bloody Bordeaux, literally Bordeaux, you know, and instead they find themselves in a bloody industrial complex. Yeah, playing in an Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> In like the most, you managed to find the most miserable spot in all of France that's and base yourself there. Unreal! That, that's incredible. So you talk about Dennis Hickey there. Did you hear the very interesting moment of commentary about Dennis Hickey in this game? Maybe. Will Greenwood eulogises about him at one point, and let me tell you, he very, very quickly slips back into Will Greenwoodisms. Often nice about Dennis Hickey with his left foot, just gives him the variety. Very intelligent man, Dennis. I know they've got this thing going on in the Irish camp. And they'll ask Toynts, the kicking coach, or Taint, sorry, Paul Tainton. The question is asked him, and he has to come up with an answer. And he had to have the five different differences between Islam and Christianity last week. And then he had to get the 11 zodiac signs of the Manchester United team in the European Champions League final. All sorts of interesting pieces of information that um, fill bus rides on rugby tours. Knowledge is knowing that the zodiac signs of the Manchester United team are a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put them in a hotel that isn't built. The obvious follow-up question here is what? Is did that happen or did Will Greenwood make that up about twenty seconds prior? That's a dream he had. Yeah, exactly. So can we just can we just like lay out exactly what Will Greenwood was saying? So he's saying that Dennis Hickey is extremely intelligent. <laughs> yes. And Paul Fine. Tainton... He likes Nick Drake. He Fine. likes Mick, okay. Nick Drake, yes. Who cares? Which is for intellectuals. Yes. Uh, much like Radiohead. So Paul Tainton, the Irish kicking coach, mm-hmm. clearly finds it funny how intelligent Dennis Hickey is. And so he's just asking this of Dennis Hickey? Yes. In a way okay. of almost taking the piss out of okay, how clever okay, he is. Okay, 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 okay. I gone... thought this was like a task he was doing as part of the kicking drills. <laughs> He was asking five differences between Islam and Christianity. I thought it was it was like in a video game when you've got to do something in order to unlock like the mini game in order to do a kicking session. A kicking session. session? In order to do that, we'll explain that one day. In order to do his kicking session, he had to go and answer a riddle, which 
Seems like something Will Greenwood would make up, yeah, is the exactly. thing. So I'm so torn on whether this happened or whether, as you say, Will Greenwood was preparing his commentary notes, then he started doing a little squiggle of somebody in the corner going, oh, Dennis, you're very intelligent. What are the Zodiac signs of the Manchester United team? You know, and then just drew it so that accurately like a, that he believed it. What is that a big sign of intelligence? Yeah. Do, you know the, do you know Rio Ferdinand? <laughs> do, do you know, know what his he's being a Gemini? Is? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Very, very strange moment there. But we've spoken about, so there's one thing that Will Greenwood talks about on commentary, mm. right? And there's another one which forced me to write, holy shit, in my notes. And um, I'm guessing you didn't pick up on this either. I don't think so. So we've spoken a lot about Peter Stringer so far in this podcast. And some of the great moments that Peter Stringer is known for mm. include, for example, his try in the Heineken Cup final where he yes. scooted down the blind side instead of passing to Ronan, which he's always known for doing. Another really famous moment was his ankle tap tackle on Dan Luger in 2001, which saved Ireland a game, mm. a test match against England. Really famous ankle tap, you know. It's probably known as arguably the best ankle tap tackle in history. However, talking about this ankle tap tackle, Will Greenwood makes quite a confession. He mentions that he, Mr. William Greenwood, former England centre, playing in that game, had put all the money in the world yes. on Dan Luger to score that try. Yes. I also picked up on this. The other interesting thing. No, so he says he would have had all the money in the world on him scoring that try. Okay. So the weird thing is, he doesn't specify, did Peter Stringer, Dan Luger, or Will Greenwood have all the money in the world? I think... He's implying he has all the money in the world. Well, Greenwood. Do you think he made a bad bet and betting on Dan Luger not finishing that try was one Mr. Andy Gomesol? And that is how oh, he won all the money in the world on a that's bet. That's very possible. And so he goes, we've got to pay it forward, haven't you? And do you think they bet on, I don't know, Paddy Power? Why would they bet on a Tongan centre? <laughs> Well, maybe he was also playing for Ireland in that game in a disguise. Oh, he's on the bench. Paddy Wallace. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Paddy Wallace, very powerful centre. Yeah. Famously, that's what everyone said about Paddy Wallace. Yeah. Powerful player. Powerful player. So Will oh, I'm Greenwood... I've got a pop filter on his microphone. <laughs> Will Greenwood, at some hmm. point, had all the money in the world the and the world. lost it to Andy Gomesol, who went on to then have it and bet it on... Solo Sitani thacking bow to score in 2011. And again, Sonny Bill Williams. lost it. No, 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 no. Just everything else he spoke <laughs> yes. about in 2011 was about Sonny Bill. Yeah. Um, this is the one sentence where he didn't talk about yeah, Sonny Bill. Okay. And then it somehow ends up with Karis Williams Morris. Yes. Who is currently in the RAF and therefore unavailable to play for Wales this weekend. Yes. Uh, which will have happened by the time you're hearing this. Yeah. So, that means she still needs a job. So I presume she doesn't have all the money in the world anymore. That's true. If she's or she should do it jobs. charitably. Yeah, well, she's Who doing knows? two jobs. Yeah. Come on. No one's doing... You good might on have you, Karis. Yeah, good on you, Karis. You deserve all the money in the world. Right. I'm sure we tracked it as having gone somewhere else since. It's very possible. We should pay more attention to the podcast. We lot. should. We should. <laughs> Any of the three people who listen, please let us know where all the money in the world yes. is. I've completely forgotten. I think it's still with Karis Williams Morris. Mm. It should be. It deserves yeah, to be. It should be. Such a large portion of my, my the notes on my page dedicated to Will Greenwood having all the money in the world. Because <laughs> it specifically came up in commentary. Also mentions Keith Wood in connection, so maybe worth investigating. Oh, okay. Keith yeah. Wood's... 
Okay, we'll Got bring him to the courts. Lawyers, yeah, jot yeah, yeah, yeah. his name down. Thank you, lads. Thank so, you. So, um, Georgia, after their initial period of not doing anything, when they've gone the ball, you <laughs> to end this pick and goes. Merab sees this and goes, lads. What if I could tell you we could get three points and a none for this? <laughs> and so they go. That sounds that sounds pretty good. Let's do that. Let's do that. And so begins a sequence of Merab Kavirakashvili missing drop goals. Yeah. And there's one that's charged down, and then there's like four that miss to the left-hand side. Yes, so Marabka Verkashvili, in the end, misses 18 points worth of drop goals. Wow. Wow. And you know what? Good on him for going for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love them all as options. It's not like they had an attacking game. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, there's one point quite early on where Bakalaya jumps for the ball mm. from an Irish kick, and Paul O'Connell... Absolutely massacres him in the air. Yes. And oh, it, does it's the most like, dangerous tackle you've ever seen in your yeah, life. Yeah, it's horrible. It would get a red card nowadays yeah, yeah, and yeah. so on. It's one of three red cards Paul O'Connor would have got in this game and f- if it was played nowadays. Yes. And for some reason, at that point, when the penalty's given to Georgia, mm. Sam Karadza goes, yes, <gasps> this is going to be the... This is going to be the one time in the game where we play fast. It's because he's just, this is right after Kavirakashvili's missed the penalty. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, brilliant. They've now got a more kickable shot. It's in the middle of the pitch. It's still in similar distance, but like it's far more guessable. And this is the one time they go for a quick tap. And also at the same time as well, and you don't go for a quick tap because you want Wayne Barnes to think about, is that a red card? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. give him time to do that. Instead of a quick tap, then he goes, oh, okay, we'll just carry on with yeah. the game and come back to that later. See if the touch has anything to say. Yeah. Instead, you let that sit with the referee so he can then go, hang on a second. I need to talk to my touch judge and see if that's worth giving a card for. Yeah. So at that point, you, you do not touch the ball. You, you leave that in the referee's hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He does the exact opposite. He goes himself. And I tell you what, have you ever seen this? It was like a meme text that did the rounds, you know, it's gone viral on Twitter and stuff before, where there's somebody received a text from their boss saying, we're extremely short staffed today. We're going to need somebody to come in. And then the person replies saying, oh, that's mad. Good luck though. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know that, yeah. that text, right? That is the Georgian forwards every time the backs do a little move. So <laughs> yeah. when Sam Karadza takes that quick tap on his own, all the forwards are just like, oh, that's mad. He's gone for a run. Go, go on and get that ball. Yeah, then back. Good luck. We'll wait over yeah. here and let us know when you need the ball, when you need to give us the ball. All right. Yeah, go on, lads. One of my favorite moments of the game is somewhere around the half hour mark. Georgia get a massive turnover. So they, they kick the ball very bloody eye in the air. Yeah. Uh, as they do. Ireland recover it, but George turn it over instantly on the floor. And since both teams are realigning, neither defense is set, neither attacking line is set, you have on one side two Irish defenders and seven Georgians. <laughs> right? You have on the other side nine Irish attackers and one Georgian. But the one Georgian is bloody massive. <laughs> Figured. So guess which way they go. I imagine they went to the one that was massive because if they went to the blind side where they had numbers, they wouldn't go through the hands. Would yeah, they? Exactly. They'd just go. Oh, there's loads of us. We could just carry through them. That's it. We have number them like, well, in this, weight. That way, we'd have to do four passes at least. Yeah. This way, we've got to do. Oh no! One? We just charge at them, and we've got so much. You know, nine heavy men against a few light men, and that's the way they'd view it, rather yeah. than oh yeah, we could just go through the hands. We've got space here. So yeah, they uh, didn't view space as a thing. Off turnover ball. They just chuck it to second. They'd say. <laughs> second row to charge into the heaviest congestion of Irish like, players. Zekanidze 
is a fantastic player who I've really, really liked on this pod. Mm. Really good Georgian captain, right? But let me tell you, he he does two things on a rugby field. One of them is take lineouts, and he takes them beautifully, right? That's his one display of agility that he would do all game, Mm. is he will take every line out, and then he will do nothing else that requires agility uh, yeah, in yeah, any yeah. other facet and the other thing that he does is just go forward yeah. he just runs straight into whoever the nearest guy is drop his shoulder yes that is yeah one of my favorite moments of the game i did a little diagram of what it looks like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so you've got the 6-2 formation <laughs> yeah that georgia ran very nice there's very best scores yeah and we should probably boring, talk about though, that. it it's boring <laughs> when you say boring you mean it was a more yeah, well, th- but this is the thing, right? Like, it's not the only time Ireland get into 22, but it's the only time it feels like it's remotely threatening. Yes, agreed. Um, agreed. It's a wonderful maul, by the way. It's yeah, so, yeah. so good. Like, I mean, I don't know much about mauls, but like, you know an organised maul when you see one. Yes. You know, like, yeah. that is so beautifully constructed and it, it went exactly to plan. If they were another 20 metres further out from the trial line, they still would have driven them all the way back. Mm. Like, it's such a good maul by it's Ireland. It's the only point in the game where when Ireland get a penalty, I was hoping Ireland would kick it. Yeah. As a as someone wanting George to win the game. Correct. Because the rest of the game, they've got no momentum going into it. And here they do, they go for the corner and they score the try. And the interesting thing is no one was talking about the bonus point again. There was no conversation about bonus point at any point during the game. I mean, there, we, was, there was there was some on the comms. Losing bonus point, but not try bonus no, point. No, there was, there was some about try bonus point. Okay. But... Only up to a certain point. Mm. There wasn't the same culture around it that there is now, though. No, yeah. Where if you came up, if you had a team like Ireland who have a solid, established tier one nation, yeah. who had been within a Vance Clare try of winning the Six Nations that year. Yes. If that had have happened, they would have won the Six, won the Grand Slam, you know, walked the thing, come in as one of the favourites, which always goes well for Ireland, and we'll see how it goes this year. Yeah, versus the Georgia team, who qualified for a World Cup once before, never won a game, were at this point, this was kind of the year where they first started beating Romania consistently, and starting to win the Rugby Europe Championship, was yeah. up 2007-8, I get the exact year, but it was around that ballpark. So it's around the time they started to step up into being a serious Tier 2 team. But at this point, they're kind of, they're enormous underdogs. You're expecting to beat them with a bonus point if you're yeah, only one. You absolutely. know, England had beaten them by like 80 odd points. Absolutely. The World Cup. Yeah. And like, we've got a few more things obviously to discuss in the first half, but the halftime score is what, 7-3, isn't it? 7-3. And 7-3. like, the thing is, obviously knowing the context of this game does alter it a little bit, but when they went in 7-3 down at half time, I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those games where Ireland just take a little while to get into their rhythm. And then they will come out and score a couple of tries in the yeah, second half. Yeah. And with Georgia, you go, okay, fair enough, good effort. But, you know, you came up against a better team today. And that's just the way it goes. Those are often those Thursday night Rugby World Cup games. as This was on a Thursday night in the Rugby World Cup. Those are often how those Tier 1 v Tier 2 games go. And it very much felt the same as that. I think the first half, if you asked me to predict how the second half was, would go, I absolutely would have said... Ireland will just very slightly streak ahead yeah. uh, and be the better team. Ireland by 15 is a final score. Yeah, exactly. Thereabouts. And I'd have probably said Ireland will score three tries in the game. Yes. And Georgia will score a couple of penalties. Yeah. Hickey says that the feeling after the best try was, right, convert this and we'll go again. Yeah. You know, yeah. like they were very much getting on top. Yeah. However, by the time they got to half time, he then said, I think there was more of a sense as that game went on as we reached half time. Of, I think the guys are confused more than anything else. Interesting. And I think that's kind of what you get a sense of. Yeah. That the longer Georgia stay in the game, and they do a lot of it by just frustrating Ireland and just being as shitty and petty as you can, 
which is one of these things that in football is quite easy to do. Mm. In rugby is much more difficult. It's much more difficult to play to come within a point in rugby than it is in football because you want to keep his concentration up for eighty Yes, yeah. And it takes unbelievable levels of effort to Absolutely. achieve that. Absolutely. Um, and Georgia deserve it. Like, it sounds like the most negative tactics and the most backhanded stuff, but Georgia deserve enormous credit for being they able do. to keep that up for they 80 do. minutes. And, like, it requires tremendous fitness do. as well. Yeah. To be able to... The thing about this, you can say, oh, it's boring, whatever. It's negative, mm. right? You can say that. But they are employing a, actively employing a tactic that requires them to run about 40 to 50 metres at a time. Yeah. Okay. As, yeah, a, yeah. as an entire unit, and it requires everyone to buy in, everyone to stay in line, to work as exactly as hard as each other. Like that's so hard to execute for such a long period of time. You can do it for ten, twenty minutes, then be knackered. Yeah. But George do it for the full eighty. It's They're, not negative at all. The first half, they keep the ball in hand far more. Yeah. And in the second half, they start levering it. Yeah, they do, and it works so well for them. They do. Yeah. As we get to the end of the first half. Ireland keep shooting themselves in the foot yes. and they're so inaccurate when they get to the opposition 22. There's so many times the ball squirts out of rucks and so on. Like there's that one point when Marcus Horan stamps on someone and gets a penalty reversed against him. Mm. And you just go like, a lot of this is so preventable mm. and it's so frustrating because you know how good these players, including Marcus Horan are. But I will say like, speaking of that, right. What is your opinion on the rugby player, Brian O'Driscoll? I think he was pretty good. No Gary Ringrose like, but you know. <laughs> No, he's, he's, re- he's like, really good. The fact that there's one point quite early on where he makes two breaks in 15 seconds. Mm. And he gets tackled, recycles, he gets back into position, then just chooses to run a line that make another break. And no one goes with him. Like, there's a point where he sets up a nearly try-scoring break for David Wallace by doing this really nice, really flat pass. There's also a nice bit where he throws a nice ball behind his back and... Mm. Gervin Dempsey would score if not for an unbelievable proper like momentum stopping tackle by Skinnin. Yeah. Who just stops him completely dead on the corner. Honestly, Brian O'Driscoll being great in this game was maybe the biggest surprise of actually watching it. Right? Because I'd seen the highlights, I'd seen enough of it back, I'd kind of skimmed through the game enough times. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't sat down and just watched it beginning to end. Yeah. And I was always of the impression that nothing about the Irish sack fired, that bloody the Nightmare got his nickname for a reason, didn't he? Yeah. And yeah, Brian O'Driscoll is brilliant. And just yeah. unflapped completely. I think I just didn't know that the Nightmare was wearing 12 instead of 13 in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I assume that Bod would have been middling, you know? Yeah. But he's just exceptional. There's a really nice break he makes towards the end of the first half where like, he does this little switch back on the inside on a counter-attack. And mm. it's just fantastic. It's like Maserazza has to put in a brilliant tackle tracking back to, to stop him. And it's just, just unbelievable. I just really, really can't believe how brilliant he was and Ireland yet still couldn't do anything it looks like Ireland don't know what a try is mm. yeah like they they seem to have no idea how to finish one humanly yeah there's one good point where they're, they're in like a really good attacking position and Ronan O'Gara goes for a grubber kick like five meters from the try line uh, no yeah, a bit yeah, more yeah, than like yeah. ten meters from the try line and you go like what on earth is that when he first sticks it on his boot? Like, you know, you're wasting possession, whatever. And it's weirdly like one of the smartest kicks of the game. It's because... such a weird thing, isn't it, though? Because it results in a scrum five. And yeah. Skinner ends up trying to run it out his own try line. And he beats about seven people on his way out. <laughs> it does. And he gets caught by the eight. sideways every yeah. single time. <laughs> but he's just like beating defender after defender after defender. And he's like, oh, they keep bloody... It's like getting onto the really hard levels of space invaders. Yes. And they just keep coming and coming and coming. And you're like, oh, yeah. I, can't, I can't clear these all enough in time. And yet... Leamy doesn't secure the ball at the back of the rocket, squirts out, and yeah. Georgia clear their lines. This leads to one of the moments of the, the game. 
again, Georgie Skinnin. It's one of the the moments where you kind of realise, oh wait, Georgia are fully in this. They're not yeah, just yeah. weathering them. They're in this. Go on, talk, t- talk to me about Georgie Skinnin. So, Ireland find themselves five metres out from the try line. They have a bloody line out, don't they? I think they've had a penalty and they kick the corner again. Yeah, yeah. They go for a little more. The ball bobbles loose and bounces up perfectly for Georgie Skinnin, the winger for Georgia, hanging there, waiting on the touchline, just watching in case there's a snipe by the nine or anything. Ball falls right into his hands and his sudden burst of acceleration is unbelievable. Skins Horgan. Just gets straight away from Horgan, away from Skinner, away from the entire Irish pack. Yeah, Skins O'Connell as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can see O'Connell really working to chase back yeah, on the other angle. Him. Yeah, um, and his hair. Yeah, Paul O'Connell's hair is not Paul O'Connell. No, uh, it's which is that. probably why it's like Paul O'Connell, but giving away lots of penalties in this game. <laughs> yeah, weird middle ground. Skin skins him. Nice. Uh, I have skillin written in my notes. Yeah, nice. Because he then you take this burst of acceleration all the way up to near enough the halfway line. At which point he drops in this beautiful inside grubber. It's so delightful because the grubber almost goes laterally. It's that diagonal that he puts it in. But the thing is, he does that as a means of evading a tackle because obviously he can't tackle mm. a man without the ball and just keeping the ball alive yeah. and then letting a support catch up without slowing down That's himself. It. That's it. It's That's genius. the brilliant thing about it. Because it's not... Normally when you see a player on a break, make a kick, it's because they want to try and force the fullback to turn and outpace them. Mm. Right. That is not what he's doing here. He is going, I'm going to drop this in field two metres inside me because I'm the only person that knows that's going to happen. Yeah, that's Players it. are used to that kick going long. People are used to it going in field, even going like cross, like goal face to extent. If he did the step inside, Hickey would have tackled him, got yeah. to the floor, and somebody would have been there to turn it over. But he puts the kick to where he would have been if he'd done the step. That's it, yeah. And so he drops it in, he can then regather it He in goes time. down on his own terms yeah. at that point, you know, because he does a little knee slide to regather the ball and then pops back to his feet, at which point he's gained another second. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. he can stay on his feet a bit longer, can be a bit stronger on his feet. It's fantastic. And that is absolutely all the time that they need for his support to catch up. Yeah. And they do follow up, and obviously because they're Georgia, they can only get... They have a quota of how much pace well, they can that's put it. in. Like, Urzikashvili gets there in time to take yeah. the pass, but, like, he's not getting any further, is he? No, no. But what's really interesting here is so that they have another phase or so yeah. before David Wallace, fantastic flanker, right? And I feel weird praising him for this because of what happens, but he goes, this is the only time in the entire game that Georgia have looked like they've broken us down. Yeah. Okay. And he probably hedges his bets that this is the only time this will happen because he wouldn't be wrong by hedging that bet and goes, I'm just going to kill the ball straight away. Yeah. I think it happens twice in the game that yeah. Georgia make a break. Yeah. And you kind of have that kind of momentum. Yeah. And he kills the ball and gets Simbin for it. Yeah. Really good referee by Wayne Barnes. It is. Because I think most referees would go, that's the first time you've done that. I'm going to let you off. Exactly. Next time. Exactly. Especially Him knowing this probably not going to be a next time yeah exactly and like so many sevens and good sevens like david wallace do get away with that it's literally i'd say george's first time they ever looked mm. like scoring in the entire game the- just so many tier tier one against tier two clashes yeah, yeah. will have stuff like that happen where the referee will kind of overthink it and wayne Barnes just goes no like you know exactly what you're doing there they talked twice on the commentary about what an inexperienced young referee Wayne Barnes is. So strange, Which feels strange to look back on now, you know, now yeah. that we're 800 years into his test career and he's refereed literally more internationals than anyone else in history. He, he looks about two years older. <laughs> yes. He does look older, though. 
He does look he does older. Because like, he, yeah. he doesn't look older now than he did in 2011, but he does look older than he did in 2007. Yes, definitely. He looks so young, yeah. Wayne Barnes. He yeah. looks fantastic. Good on him. <laughs> but yeah, like, Meryl really slots the penalty over mm. after the yellow card and gives Georgia just that small slither of momentum. Yeah, they're 7-3 behind at half-time is not a bad scoreline for Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I will add as well that the first half finishes with another... Oh, this is one of my favourite moments as well. There's there's another Brian O'Driscoll break, which yeah. Dempsey drops drops the ball on oh. when... Yeah, well, so Stringer sticks it in the corner, and yes. like Georgia left five meters out from their own trial line. They're like pinned right on that really smart kick, leaves them in a situation where they've got to survive like a full minute. I think the line out that the ball goes into the line out are like thirty-eight, fifty something. Yeah, so they've got like just over a minute. They've got to survive, and Georgia go fine. We'll maul it. <laughs> and they make, like so much. They ground. make a thir- They do a thirty-five meter maul <laughs> that lasts like a minute and a half. And they're like a minute into overtime by the time they eventually kick it out because they're just like we're just enjoying this. Yeah, we're having a great just time just mauling this. Out of them at yeah, that point. they're just like, oh yeah, well we might as well just leave it in. We're going to do nothing with this ball. So obviously but... they don't maul again in the second half. <laughs> it's great. It's a really good moment. And I'll add as well that as halftime as the whistle mm. goes, John Champion comes out with a belter of a line of commentary. Instead of getting better, Ireland seem to be getting worse. Georgia, the better team on the field at half time. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. Because he is so into Georgia being underdogs yeah. and really stepping up. He's absolutely spot on yeah. that Ireland are doing themselves no favours. And it's that point when the half time whistle goes and Ireland go, right, these guys are no mugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They suddenly have to change their entire approach. They have to change everything. So there's a bit in Ron Lugaro's autobiography where he mm. talks about this game. Yeah, he says basically at half time, they came in and. Paul O'Connell lost his mind. Really? And he started screaming and shouting, and it went on throughout the second half. The thing is, because that's not like Paul O'Connell. Yeah. Because even though he's such an aggressive figure on the pitch, as a leader, when you watch videos of him, he's so calm yeah, off yeah, the yeah. field and so supportive of his boys. So for him to be yelling at his lads saying, like, you need to be playing better, we need to be doing this and that, that's that's a huge moment. So, yeah, he loses at half time. Rog then says that, I mean, actually, no, we'll, we'll get onto this as it goes on. There's a couple of moments in the second half okay. where individual players start screaming at each other. But Ogara's autobiography basically says he's never been in the team that got as angry with each other as it was. So apparently the entire backline, you had wingers shouting at the pack to sort themselves oh out my God. in the second half. And the thing is, when you're Georgia, that's exactly what you want. Yeah. You just go, let them do that. If their senior players are all arguing, they are going to fall to bits in 10 minutes. Yeah. It was a bad scene. In that situation, you don't have time to think about the restart, the next possession, the next tackle. Like, everyone was just screaming at each other. Oh and this Irish God. team just falls apart completely there. That's insane. And unsurprising. Like, the, uh, there are a couple of, as you say, specific moments in the second half where you can see that that's the case. You can see, you know, players physically yelling at each other. Look, there's that, as I alluded to earlier, there's that mm. stupid penalty Donica O'Callaghan gives away. And as soon as the referee's arm goes up, you can see Paul O'Connell screaming. I'm like, why the fuck have you done that? Yeah. Like, you've just yeah, cost yeah, yeah. us, you know, 20 metres. Look, you know how big his boot is. You know how good their mall is. You've cost us such a huge opportunity. Just let them exit on their own. And Paul O'Connell absolutely loses his mind. I'd say that's such a rarity. Yes. So Brent Pope, who's a former New Zealand international 
became a TV pundit in Ireland, particularly in Ireland, was part of the Irish coverage for this World Cup team. I also want to mention, Balls to I did a really good kind of oral history of this. Okay. Where they interviewed a bunch of people about this game in National okay, League yeah. and so on. So Brent Pope, who was a part of this article, they asked about him as a pundit on this tournament, said that he, basically, he was flying across country to do punditry live on a different game. So mm. he was watching this in a kind of like airport bar with a bunch of other Irish fans. And he said, people were livid. People were irate. It was a mixture of shock and being hacked off. Especially because it wasn't a situation where it was a substandard performance, but it was still a 10 or 15 point win where you say, okay, they didn't play particularly well. This is a situation where going into the last five minutes, people actually thought Georgia probably deserved to win. Yeah. We'll obviously get into it, but I certainly did as, yeah. as a fan watching this. I assume you were the same? Yeah, 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 yeah. Rona Lagara said in his autobiography, like, losing this would have been the lowest point in the history of Irish rugby. Winning that match seemed like the lowest point in the history of Irish rugby. That's such a good way of phrasing that, to be honest, Mm. because Ireland, when they came off the pitch, were clearly so ashamed of what they'd done. And it was so much of a bigger deal than the Namibia one, which was one of those games, as you say, where you come off and you go, you know what, we could have played better, but it is what it is. Yeah. Like this felt like, it felt like Ireland had lost by 20 points to Georgia. And it, it all kind of comes into that thing of saying like, the changing was apparently the more shouting at each other rather than going, how do we fix this problem? Mm. And things only get worse once the tempers get worse. As they're suddenly starting to scream at each other and get angry, they start to make more errors and Georgia go in the opposite direction. They calm right down. And so, suddenly their tactical game steps up enormously. Interestingly, mm. Georgia stay on the pitch at half time. Do they? They don't go into the changing rooms. So Ireland have gone in screaming at each other, but apparently the walk from the changing rooms to the pitch in Bordeaux was extremely long. Mm. So Georgia decided instead to just catch their breath that the water carriers oh. decided before the game to they'll come onto the pitch at half time and the coaches will then would just come on and then they'll just stand on the halfway line. They'd sit down, have a breath and all just discuss the tactics there in front of everybody. So they didn't go into the change rooms at half time. So when they redevised their tactics they did it on the pitch. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. As an approach. Very old school. Very old school. Did we get to see Hans de Goody giving a speech? I wish, mate. I wish. Oh, next time. Next yeah. time. Not even Ilya Zedganidze. Because at that point, we could have ended up using our old Total Rugby Translator man over there in the corner yes, to translate him for him. Real but shame. Though. Didn't have to. You know, he's, he's just sat there on his own. So yes, I would say the teams come out for the second half. The team came out for the second half because everyone was already there. So I think is the thing I've got written early on in the second half, right? Is Ireland looked terrible. Georgia yeah. also looked terrible, but they were aware of their flaws and yeah. they're playing to the limitations. And can problem solve a little bit more than Ireland. Yeah. So Georgia are like, okay, we're terrible at back rugby, so let's not play back rugby. Yes. You know? <laughs> we're struggling to keep hold of the ball, so let's kick it. We've kind of got them at the, the mall, but we're struggling for our line out, so let's be a bit cautious and about like, they that. They bring on Macanelli and yeah. just say, you're playing on the wing, do not expect the ball. Okay. Yeah. You just need to hunt down Horgan all day long. Make sure he doesn't get an inch. Yeah. Like, did you notice Shane Horgan in this game? Uh, he puts one kick out on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other, other than... And gets skinned by George Skinner. Other than bad kicks he puts in, like, Shane Horgan basically does nothing. Yeah. And I say this as a big fan of Shane Horgan mm. as a player. Great player. Like, he was an exceptional attacking winger. Yeah. And yet, he was completely exposed by Georgia. Mm. And yet, as I say, Macanelli's on, just bullies him. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, it all starts to just sort of build and bubble a bit. There's a really good point where they cut to the sideline and show David Wallace in the sim bin. And did you notice this? Mm-hmm. So they showed David Wallace in the sim bin for like three seconds, right? 
it has it has the energy of a kid getting sent into another team's class, another <laughs> yeah, teacher's class. class. Yeah, because David Wallace is sat down just silently looking really sheepish next to Nigel Owens, <laughs> who they've just sat next to him, who's probably said the to him... The fourth official or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's probably just said to him, like, right, why have you been sent here? Oh, uh, hands in the ruck, sir. It's like, okay, so what are you going to do? Not do it again in the rest of the game. Okay, sit there for 10 minutes and I'll tell you when you're allowed to go back on. Amazing. <laughs> it's, it's such a brilliant shot of just David Wallace in shame with Nigel Owens of all people sat next to him. <laughs> the one who loves giving lectures. It's so funny. I wouldn't have this then passage of just kind of going through the motions in on halfway and their attack looks so unthreatening. It's like go through the motions until O'Driscoll gets it, who makes a half yeah. break and then uh, he's on the floor so they have to go through the motions again for like yeah, a yeah. minute. And it's just... If they could have had six more O'Driscolls, they'd have been fine. But no, just like every time anybody else gets the ball, they just look so uninspired, incompetent. Yeah. And all of that kind of comes to a head around the 45 minute mark. Mm. And it's funny watching this game back because it's one of the weird things about doing this podcast is sometimes you watch a game, we go, oh, it's the game with that moment. Yes. Right. So watching the game in 87, the semi-final and going, oh, it's the game with the winning Blanco try. When it comes, it's still a shock. Yes. You know, exactly. like, oh, it's, oh, that's how that starts. Yeah. And again, like we had it in 87 again with the third place playoff. We yeah. know that Adrian Hadley winning try so brilliantly yeah, yeah, yeah. inside out, but we don't know the 45 seconds that happens before it. The John Kerwin try in the opening game of the Rugby World Cup, we know all about that try. We've seen it a thousand times. We didn't know there was a dog on the pitch at least yeah. to it being scored. Exactly, exactly. We learned so much from doing that. Mm. And you're right to bring this up at this very moment. Yes, because here's the thing, right? Ireland go through the motions. They've got this rubbish attack that's going nowhere. And then suddenly they set into this one shape. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, that's a very interesting formation they're in. And that Georgian winger is coming very quickly out of line. <laughs> and the thing is, the phase before that, I thought, oh, this is quite good, actually. Mm. Ireland made a bit of a breakdown on the left-hand side. Dempsey's just made a really good run. This is interesting. I wonder if Ireland might do something really good off this. And. And indeed. And. Georgia lead Ireland. You earlier made your very own pun on the Georgian right winger's name. Yes. Where you said Shkinin, Shkinjim. I have written down the Shkin Intercept. Nice. Lovely, 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 lovely. So he, and this is the moment most people listening to the podcast have probably seen at some point in their life. Sure. But absolutely hairs it out of line. It's an incredible read. And he comes up so quickly. Yeah. It's such a brilliant read, first Mm. and foremost. Like... He is absolutely certain that he's going to get that. He comes in from a diagonal, I notice as well. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. He comes in from so far away that clearly Stringer, who throws the pass, stood in the 10 position, doesn't think, oh yeah, the guy in front of who I'm passing to isn't a credible threat to yeah, steal yeah, the ball. Yeah. I, I can throw this. It's... But Skinner's acceleration is ludicrous. The only piece of coaching advice I'm qualified to give is only worth going for intercepts on diagonals sure because that's the only time you could they're, they're realistic mm. you want to be coming from outside their eye line yeah otherwise it's too obvious it's easy you're never getting it especially because like and they can sell pass you on isn't it. especially bad like no. it's in the air for a very long time that's it because his next man i don't know who he's actually passing to but i think he's taking a away. decent option i yeah. think it's fine there's not really blocking in place because that wasn't so much of a yes. thing at this point but skinning takes it and the same kind of acceleration we saw on his own five-meter line 
bursts, accelerates away. There's no chance of anyone getting anywhere near him. As you say, I so didn't expect that to be the moment when it yeah. happened. I always assumed that that intercept happened about 65 minutes into the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assumed it was so much later on. But this is five minutes after half time when Ireland are all bitching and moaning at each other. And then Stringer, one of their most reliable players, throws that pass. And it's so unexpected. And so we get one of the most iconic moments of this game, which is Brian O'Driscoll absolutely berating Stringer. Yes. Yes, as Ogara, so Ogara says in his autobiography, the phrase he used is Draco bit the head off Stringer. <laughs> Which again, so uncharacteristic. Yeah. Bod as a leader is known to be so calm and so, mm. and as a person generally. Yeah. And just like, it's kind of your generically inspiring rugby captain, you yeah. know? Like, well, Ogara said it's the most he ever saw him go for someone. The most he ever saw him shout and bollock someone. that's for Stringer. Yeah. That's for somebody that Bod will have played him though? so many times. He's yeah. spent years putting up with Stringer. That's true. You've looked at that on the flip side of what I have. He spent years supporting Stringer and so on, and it was all going to come out at some point. Yeah, of course it was. And you fuck ugly. <laughs> and so are your brothers. <laughs> You're bald, you're shit, you can't pass, you can't snipe down the blind side, you only did that once, you're a one-trick pony, and you're bald, did I mention that? And you should spend some money on your teeth. <laughs> but it, yeah, so it leads to this complete Irish implosion of if it wasn't bad before, suddenly oh now... Oh my god, <laughs> it completely explodes, as you say. Just everything they do is, is rubbish, and... You have this moment. Yeah, yeah, summing it up. The thing is, usually when trials like this happen in this podcast, one of two things happens, right? Mm. Either the team that's just scored will make a stupid mistake and will crumble under the pressure of not knowing how to close out a game against a tier one nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either that will happen or the other team will come up with a moment of brilliance like straight afterwards. And neither of them really happens. Something somewhere in between happens. Yes. Rodan O'Gara... Cool head, right, knows exactly what they need to do. They just need to pile the pressure on Georgia. They mm. need to stick the ball in the corner, and he does exactly that. He puts an absolutely brilliant kick onto the five-meter line for Georgia, and you just feel like any error for, for, by either team will completely ruin them. Yeah. Uh, particularly Ireland. If Ireland drop that ball, then you know they will completely shatter from there on out. Well, and at this point, though, the French crowd has... Not just gone from cheering for Georgia, but is now booing everything Ireland are doing. Is actively like trying to dismantle him in true pro de da fashion. My favourite thing about after that try is they start chanting the Georgia, 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 which you don't know if it's for Skinner or yeah, yeah. Also, on that note, a quick moment for the fact that br- brilliant though he has been. And such an iconic uh, moment of sport, though it is, mm. John Champion absolutely butchers George Skinnin's name on the try <laughs> when he calls him Georgi Skinnin. Yes, yeah. I remember when I first watched that try, that was my first thought. It was like, surely his name's not actually pronounced Georgi. And I'm so glad I can finally talk about yeah, it somewhere where it's, it's relevant. No. Um, really, really bugs me. And that was probably what part of why I thought John Champion was going to be a shit commentator. But no, he was excellent through the game. John Champion, but on that one occasion where it was the biggest moment of the entire game, yeah. got his name completely he butchered. He does say, though, afterwards, like, that is a try that is going to be talked about in Georgia for many, many years to come. Arguably the most famous Georgian try in history. I think it might be. I think it might be. Probably takes over the, you know, Gogolse tries against Tonga. Yeah, um, I'd say this is more so than that. And the other one is, of course, 
in uh, 2015. And as you have, what's his face? Um, oh, Becca Ticlari. Yeah, against the All Blacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the other one. I think it's those two. I tell you what, the amount of times I've had to say his name on this podcast just to recall him that one fact that he scored that try. But also, as you say, that line of commentary, the and Georgia lead Ireland, is so iconic and mm. uh, so well timed. Ash Skinnin's diving in. It's just such a great moment. I know we've moved past that now, and but yeah, it deserves just its own moment. Wonderfully iconic, and yeah. hence why it comes up every World Cup, and we'll see it again later this year. Yes. Georgia then find themselves kind of camped in their own 22. Sam Karadza then kind of panics the box kick, trying to return it. Mm. And Ireland find themselves like 10 metres out. At which point, I'm going to play you another bit of commentary, okay? Mm-hmm. So they go sideline to Gabriel Clark, who is excellent. I really like Gabriel Clark's yeah, insight yeah, yeah. generally. Like, And throughout this game, there's there's a handful of times where they go to him and I think, oh, you know what? He raises some really good points and he's extremely articulate. I'm mean, such a fan of Gabriel Clark. And uh, here's one of the moments where they go to him sideline. Let's get the touchline perspective. Uh, we can bring in Gabriel Clark. Gabriel. With the graphic saying, voice of Gabriel Clark now speaking. Gabriel. Thanks, Gabriel. Great insight there. But what's really funny is clearly Will Greenwood either heard the entire thing yeah. or just went off the last five seconds and just styled it. The and he styled it out well, if blank. so. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> about 15 seconds of dead air and then Gabriel Clark goes, oranges and some of the players <laughs> like an apple. That's great insight. That's great insight. We never know what he was no. saying. But I am glad that that was the one where we didn't get Gabriel Clark's yeah, brilliant yeah. insight. Where that's the one where they, they blanked it out on the audio. <laughs> they just let us know. Look, it's important. Bananas, it's important. oranges, some of the players like an apple. Some Let's never forget like it. Yeah. Some of the players like an apple. Yeah, just really good to know. I don't know which team they're talking about is the thing. But old school, according to Paul Greenwood. <laughs> yep. There's a bit of a back and forth. I'll give away a couple of silly penalties. Gorgodza twats a man that I've got written in my notes. There's a point where, so Ireland get a line out kind of just outside the Georgian 22. Mm. And they run the Tony Woodcock move. Yes, they do. Yes, and they do. David Wallace goes straight through the middle. Fresh back on the field, of course, from yes. his uh, detention. <laughs> they get a bit of momentum and it's like, okay, we've done something right. Like, And there is this real sense of like, finally... You know, we've won, not only won a lineup, but made a bit of a break off it. Like, we've actually done something coherent. Mm. So, you know how we back that up? We give it to Bod. Yeah. <laughs> because he, everything he's done has actually been correct. And that means we've done two good things in a row if we give the ball to Bod. And yeah, bloody Bod runs a really flat line and nearly scores. And you think, okay, like, this could mean something until eventually Urjakash really puts an absolutely massive hit in in the corner and forces, uh, I think it's Dempsey might be Hickey into touch. Mm. And you think, okay, the chance has gone. Like, even when Ireland do two good things in a row, they can't capitalise. And because all the things George are doing well are effort-related. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they put so much more effort in than Ireland do. And Ireland, after that try, after the skinning try, 
they start overplaying enormously. Yeah. And we see so many ridiculous passes and like there's one period where they do get into 22 shortly after that Wallace break where they are just like throwing all of these balls that aren't on to the, until they're just spilling out into Georgian hands. Yeah. And none of it is worthwhile. None of it is good. No. But it's clear that panic is taking place and they're now trying to channel it and they just can't. And meanwhile, look, when Georgia get the ball back, Uchikashvili absolutely bombs it downfield, sends a 60-meter clearance in. Mm. And Ron Nagora in the backfield does exceptionally well, covers it after only a couple of bounces, then sends it back to Kaverukashvili, who then just goes, all right, yeah, same again then. And just again, booms it a further 60 meters downfield. Yeah. And you just think, oh, everything's going Georgia's way here. Yeah, it's that like one-two punch of mm. like 60 meter kicks. Yes. When you think, oh, they've done a brilliant job to get there, but they've headed From back. two different players as well. Yeah. One left foot and one right foot. sends it even further. It's incredible. It's just like... That is a huge momentum swinger. It is. It is. Because the game has gone from Ireland have a really good attacking position here to it's just neutral. Mm. And like Georgia have just completely nullified whatever Ireland were trying to put together there and just made them look extremely, not shit, just extremely okay. Do you want to know a great comment from Eddie O'Sullivan? Go on. He had said in the press conference before this game, we weren't the ones who said we'd win the World Cup. That was other people. We just happened to agree with them. (laughs) That would have been a great quote if it aged at all well, rather than being a fucking travesty. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) If they didn't get knocked out in the pool stage. Yeah. I mean, look, if Jake White said that, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On your lad. (laughs) Yeah. Or Eddie Jones, who, let's be honest, Eddie it's Jones would be the line. It's an Eddie Jones line. But two very different Eddies we're talking about here. Can we have a word for Paul O'Connell's what the hell moment? Which one was that? So there's a point at which Georgia safely have the ball in the, they've recovered the ball in Iron Zone 22 after they knock it on after one of the inevitable errors. And Paul O'Connell, <laughs> slight diss there. <laughs> yeah. Paul O'Connell, Squidge Island, hashtag. Yeah. Paul O'Connell is just stood there looking at the ruck, waiting for a box kick to happen so he can jog back. And he goes, oh, I'm bored. And he just like jumps over the ruck, like oh, yeah. head first. Like and almost headbutts the scrum off like midriff. It's mental. It's one of the stupidest penalties you'll ever see. And it's bloody Paul O'Connell. He plays for Munster. Usually he doesn't have to wait for those moments of violence. Yeah, but like... But yeah, he doesn't give away stupid penalties. No, it was thing. kind of his USP. Was he Same was such as a, we said about Callahan earlier. Yeah, he was the most disciplined enforcer lock he'll ever see. Paul yeah. O'Connell. And he has three moments of like, card-worthy, stupid offence. So like, this was head first, flying over the rug. Yeah. He's lucky he doesn't hit someone else, you know, high up. Sure, yeah. And bear in mind, this is just after he's bollocked Donna Callahan for basically doing this yeah, exact yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, if even Paul O'Connell is losing his call, where do Ireland go? Yeah. They've literally just got Bod and, to an extent, O'Gara, like, you know, cleaning up all the mess. But even then, so, like, Isaac Boss comes on in the second half, mm. and there's a point, and we're jumping ahead slightly, but where O'Gara absolutely loses shit with Boss, mm-hmm. that he talks about in his biography as well. Okay. Where he, like absolutely screams and shouts at him for throwing one poor pass to him and he's just like I don't, mean, I don't know what he says yeah. but I imagine it was full of expletives okay it's extremely like violent and losing yeah. it and like that's your halfback partner sure you know that's your fly-offs losing it with your scrum off again a senior your player half, you know yeah like, your two locks are shouting at each other bloody one of your centres is having the worst game of his life just, I can't think of a time in a Rugby World Cup match where the senior senior leadership group has melted down. Just to fallen extent. apart completely like this, yeah. Like, we talk about 
the All Blacks trying their best to bottle 2011 was yes. the narrative. But that never happened. Mm. Nothing, nothing to that degree happened, which is the reason why they ultimately won it. Yeah. Ireland don't lose this game. Yeah. But I think, and we'll get onto this, that isn't their fault. They did everything they could to lose this game. Yeah. And it's one of the sad facts of this game is I think when we get into talking about the last 20 minutes, you kind of have to start to criticise Georgia. Yeah. Because they're brilliant for an hour and they do so well to to it's, get themselves into that position to win the game. What we've pr- praised Will Greenwood for in this game is the fact that he did criticise yeah. Georgia at the right points. And then Georgia spend 20 straight minutes in positions to win this game and they just don't take them. No. They just keep bottling it. Yeah. They're big moments. They've huge occasions they've never prepared for. The nerves are clearly immense. I can just imagine the nerves from watching this, you know, so never you know, mind playing it absolute and Absolute dink but... that Sam Karadza puts in that mm. forces Hogan oh, to run yes. into touch on his five metre yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant Did they score kick. from it? No. Brilliant kick. No. They lose the line out. Like, or it comes the overthrow. The overthrow, overthrow, overthrow it. It. straight to Wallace. That's it, and Wallace makes a break off yeah. that. That's infuriating. Yeah. Sam Karadza's kick is absolutely spot on there. Yeah. And usually it's the other way around. It's that the Georgian pack put them in good positions yeah. and the back slightly screw it up. But here, like, it's the one occasion where the forwards lose their kind of synergy or the well, first occasion. I think there's six occasions in the last 20 minutes where they're within 10 metres of the try line. Yeah. And they don't take one of them. Yeah. There's three occasions where they're within sort of a metre yeah. and one occasion where they cross the line. Well, no, they start going for drop goals, which I think is a good decision in order to get themselves back within a point because they're more likely to score two drop goals considering how easily they're getting into Ireland's territory. Yeah. They and don't know it's like scoring game, a try. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's kind of a nightmare. But we haven't talked about how they got to be 14-10 behind. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that the one moment where Gordon Darcy decides to look like a rugby player in the entire game. And like, I love Gordon Darcy, right, as a mm. player. I think he, I think I he's loved excellent. him when he had that beard. I lo- that was, the Darcy Renaissance he, was amazing. He, yeah. Darcy would probably be the first to admit he had an absolute bear in this game. Yeah. But the break he makes is really nice mm. where he just kind of like skirts on the outside of someone and then kind of does that, that weird Gordon Darcy thing where he goes from either running extremely sideways or extremely straight and he kind of does <laughs> yes. both in one yeah, go. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Which um, is rare. Yeah. And Bod steps in at 10 uh, on the blind side here, delivers a really nice, nicely timed early pass to Jerry Flannery. Or should I say Conrad Smith? I didn't even realise it was Flannery. It was Jerry Flannery wow. who gives the assist here. Wow. How good was that pass? It's exceptional. It's exceptional. But the timing on it, the pace he puts on the ball mm. and then lifts it on the outside to Dempsey on his outside. Dempsey goes on and scores this try, does a little sidestep and then, you know, slightly runs it in. The, the thing about it was, because I knew that that try was a thing. Mm. I knew about that try because that often gets shared when they talk about this game. Like, they say, like, oh, there's great effort. There's great effort by um, by Georgia <laughs> against Ireland. And then they talk about, oh, I went for the intercept. I decided to go diagonally. It's very strange to get an intercept from a scrum half rather than a fly half, as Georgie Skinning uh, says. Yes, yes, um, yes. Thank you to our friend for uh, for doing that there. But And those videos, they often then show, oh, yeah, but they didn't hold it out. And then they show the Dempsey try. Mm. It's so anticlimactic when it actually happens. That's the thing, though. It feels like the bubble bursting. Yeah. And then it kind of doesn't. It feels like the moment where I'm like, okay, we'll kick off from here. Yeah. And if you're watching that live, you'll be like, oh, okay, fine. There's an air of coincidence to it. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, they've just happened to have strung together a few good passes. And I feel like I'm not giving Ireland enough credit here. It feels soft. Yes. That's it. And that's the thing, right? Is the thing I was saying earlier about in rugby union, you basically need 80 minutes of successive effort in order to keep the score down and frustrate a bigger team and put in that kind of performance. 
And Georgia managed about 79. Yes. And it's not the try you expect him to concede no. in this game, is it? Because they look sound in those areas. Yeah. It's parts of the game where they look sound. And falling off that tackle on Dempsey at the end. And it isn't like the first try comes from a period of Irish momentum and they finish it off. Yeah. Right? And it isn't that. It kind of feels like a breakaway try, even though it isn't. It kind of yeah. comes out of nowhere. It comes from a, a fairly standard line out when they've got no momentum, no real chance in a really low scoring game. Yeah. Yeah. And you just feel like it's really annoying because... Your initial instinct is to be a bit annoyed at Georgia. Yeah. It's like, oh, how do you concede that? that? That's a terrible try. Not a terrible try, but like, you know, the way they've defended, you expect them to close that out. But the reason why they perhaps didn't is because they've done it so well for the other 79 minutes. Yeah. Even yeah, though they yeah. scored like the, what, the 50th, 60th, whatever. The fact that they've worked so hard thus far mm. is probably the reason why they eventually concede that. Yeah. And what follows on from there? So Agara takes the conversion. And we have one of the most dramatic last 20 minutes where there's no points scored. <laughs> yes! Because it's two teams playing extremely contrasting styles. Mm. And yet Ireland... Well, because Ireland start trying to run out of their own 22 and play yeah. this really stupid brand of rugby. When they're in this situation where nothing is working for them, it is not their day. As Hickey said, like, they're not gelling that day. Like, everyone was aware of this. They were all shouting at each other. The most frustrated game they've ever played in their lives. And what they choose to do is play incredibly ambitious offloading rugby in their own 22. Yeah, that Gordon Darcy one you mentioned earlier, yeah. where he throws that forward pass and just doesn't know what's happened. He's just done something good and then compounded it with an error, which is, I can only imagine how confusing and frustrating it was for him, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. But like, from there, Georgia just keep their composure and just go, yeah, okay, we'll maul it. Yeah. We'll do pick and goes. And they do perfectly well on those. But as you say, they don't score points as consequence of this, you know. Mm. Gorgonzo knocks the ball on just short of the try line. And you still think, great, the pressure's on here. But you kind of well, be critical of Georgia for the fact they don't and this is why, so they, they attempt four drop goals, right? Yeah. All of them they take from well wide at the post. They don't take them yes. between the posts. And I think the, All the common the wisdom... All the left hand side of yeah. the posts, they, they take them from. Common wisdom nowadays is you take it slightly to the side of the post so that it can fade a bit. Yes. Rather than straight between the posts. Because actually yeah. that does put quite a lot of pressure and on the And the side depends on the footedness of your kicker as well. Yeah. yeah. And instead, they're taking it right out in the corner. They're taking it like on the 50 metre line and, you know, or just in from it. Yeah. And you're kind of thinking this isn't, they're not setting properly to kick the drop goals. Yeah. They're going for it the moment Marab goes, okay, I fancy a drop goal here. They're not That's going, it. brilliant. Let's play two phases. They've not got it. like a drill set for it, clearly. They've not got any blockers in place on no. any of his attempts. One of them he takes from so far back that actually I think is quite a good option. Yeah. Because no one's expecting it. Sure. That's fine. But the other three, I think, are really poorly set for. Yeah. They don't seem to have like an established drop goal drill other than just give it from 9 to 10. The decision itself to go and try and get three points is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. But the execution of it is utterly terrible. It's dire. It's um, dire. And again, as we, as we mentioned before, we've joked around this, right? Georgia generally would play with a structure where they have at least five or six out of eight of their forwards in a breakdown. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and their forwards are so massive, as I say, that Ireland weren't... David Wallace is a brilliant jackler, mm. but was less of a threat on the ball as he usually is because, you know, he will have had to bury under yeah, five yeah. or six massive men. So the fact that Georgia then, because that's all well and good, right? The fact that Georgia then didn't use their remaining couple of forwards or even a couple of backs, because 
Let's be honest, they weren't using their wingers. No. They didn't need to look like they had a different threat in attack. They didn't look need any deception. But the fact that they didn't then use that to their advantage, as you say, put blockers in play or something like that, there was no ingenuity to the way that they tried to drop those goals. And that was a repeat um, offence. To Ireland's credit, they remained incredibly disciplined apart from when they weren't. They, All their yeah. penalties were individuals being very stupid. Yeah. In terms of system, in terms of remaining on side, in terms of not giving them penalties at the breakdown, they were grand. And when Georgia got into the 22, they weren't giving them anything. That's it. We've named a lot of really daft penalties they've given away. None of them were in their own 22. No. None of them were between the sticks. No. None of them were in imminently kickable positions for yeah. Merab. Kavirakashvili, who's a fantastic goal kicker, is George's all-time top point scorer, he is, I believe. He is, indeed. Yeah, and one of the top point scorers in world rugby, right? And Ireland, after that first kick that, albeit missed, they will have known what a threat they were up against as a goal kicker. Mm. That if we give away any genuinely kickable penalties, other than the one that Wallace gets simbined for, yeah. which is the one penalty, the one three-pointer he gets all game, where he did that to stop it being seven points. Yeah. So that's a good piece of play by David Wallace because that's the only time that they give away a penalty that is kicked. Yeah. Because otherwise they're giving away in penalty in positions where he's going to miss. Over the course of the game, right? Between his drop goal attempts and his two penalty shots. Yeah. As we've also got the conversion as well, actually. So yeah. So there's a total on offer. Merab Kavirakashvili, right? There's a total of 23 points on offer. Wow. Right? And he takes five of them. Yeah. There's a realistic world in which this game is almost looks one-sided to Georgia. Yeah. which Georgia walk it now and go, don't get a losing bonus point. And I, I think that's feasible. I don't that's think it, that's yeah. that far from the game we watch. Th- no, I 100% agree. And like, that's not, not Kavirakash Felix's fault himself. No. You know, because the kicks he put in were all good. You know? Yeah, they were decent. Yeah, you know? adequate, we'll yeah. say. He was put in a poor position, which a lot of that is on his shoulders as well, I think. Yes, agreed. He should be, agreed. as the fly half, bossing them around and getting them into better positions. Agreed. As you say, the, the penalties that he missed, fair enough, Ireland gave away the penalties... In a yeah. close enough position that he'll go for it, yeah. but not close enough that he'll quite get it. But as you say, you also have the chance where Godzai knocks it on close to the line. Yeah. We then get to, right on 77 minutes, the big point, the big dramatic moment, mm-hmm. where Georgia finally managed to get over the try line. Yes. And Wayne Barnes goes upstairs, because they have been burrowing away for such a long time. And honestly, I think a lot of it is on Georgia for them not having any attack whatsoever and ability to convert Agreed. these chances. Agreed. And so they get over the line once. And the TMO takes one glance at this, which is really odd for a try of this magnitude and this yeah. this big, and goes, no, it's not, it's not happening. But I don't know. What did you make of this whole I mean, fiasco? you couldn't really see what was going on until the pile of bodies all kind of split, mm. and then you see the ball is on top of Dennis Leeming. But the thing is, what happened before that, exactly. you can't really see. That's it, though. Because Dennis Leamy, if you watch him, right, he's on his knees the entire time. <laughs> and somehow he comes up with the ball on his own. Yeah. So there's very clearly a yellow card-worthy penalty given away by Leamy here. Okay, interesting. Like, I didn't think of it that way. I think, well, he clearly, he rips, he's off his feet and he rips the yeah. ball and then carries it back over his own try line. If you're in the end goal, can you do that? He's, he carries back over his own try line. Oh, okay. He falls okay. back and he's like just about on his back with the ball. Right, there. I see. The ball gets over the line because Leamy's there and it's given as held up. Yeah. And so they get the scrum five. Yeah, I didn't, five. I didn't think of it like But that. for me, I think there's an argument that's a yellow card. And if he is over his own goal line, is that a penalty try? But of course, what you know, the follow-up question of that is, or the follow-up kind of statement of that is, mm. he doesn't get caught for that. No, he doesn't. Which means it's... A brilliant bit of play. A nearly match-winning turnover. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Which, fair play. Like, I had, it didn't even cross my mind that that's potentially a penalty offence. Yeah. There. But now you put it that way, I can't say you're wrong. 
I should have mentioned as well, by the way, one of the drop goals was missed by Urjukashvili. Oh, of course foot. it was. Of course it was. Um, yes. But, like, it was kind of the one not quite there kick he did because there was I like really 50... enjoyed that one as well I was, enjoyed yeah. him going for a massively ambitious just one. after he did a 50-22 to get him in the position as well yeah. but yeah as we get into the last couple of minutes there are three or four occasions where Georgia get a serve mm. where as you say there's that point where they had a maul and good gods are knocked it on they have a maul and they're held up in that opportunity then from there they have another opportunity and the ball squirts out the, the scrub they have one where they're literally on the trial line and Wallace turns it over yes and why aren't they putting Stonehenge in place <laughs> set up formation yes yeah so Isaac Boss does this quite a nice quick tap makes a little bit of a break I've kind of gone back a bit here but it's yeah, still yeah. sort of last five minutes does a quick tap makes a little bit of a break and you go oh that's quite good and then after the ball's been recycled once, picks it up and does a rubbish like sideways grubber kick to Skinnen, who absolutely belts it into yes. Irish country. And there's a bit of a back and forth. Ireland's kicks are really uninspired and Will Greenwood's going mad at them on the comms and saying like, yeah, so Gora's got the right idea here, he needs to put it up. And it's a terrible kick. <laughs> um, and it's great. He's absolutely spot yeah. on. It's the right tactic, terrible execution. And Georgie Skinnen puts up an absolute beauty. As soon as the ball leaves his foot, Will Greenwood goes, that's an incredible kick. And he was absolutely spot on. So he lands it just outside the Irish 22, so they can't call a mark. Shane Horgan is in a terrible position to try and catch it, has to turn his body and drops it. And it goes from Shivledza's hands to Dastanashvili. They have a little offloading sequence between the two of them. And Georgia are in the 22. And so, yeah. yes, this is how they can win this game. The nightmare, Dav uh, Kasharava nearly scores because he runs this hard line. Yeah. And just because that, Gordon Darcy reads it, yeah. Georgia don't score the winning try. It's one of those two real left. breaks, moments of momentum they have where you think, oh, they could do this. Like, yeah. that's the, the moment and where you're kind of screaming and up on your feet. As much as Kasharava was tackled and didn't score from it, mm. right? That was absolutely the right play to go for. I love yeah, that you yeah. went for that because it took a split second read by Darcy, which was absolutely brilliant to stop yeah. him from scoring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, they end up with that scrum five after the disallowed try, which should still be a fair banker. They've had one really good scrum just before that yeah. where they've got a squeeze on Ireland and they just blow it. The number what I have written down is Marcus Horan equals clutch. Takes a scrum against the head. Yeah. Well, the the ball like ricochets off the number eight's boot mm. and bounces out. The scrum suddenly just disrupts and changes as he's going for the ball. But what I love about this is like when Ireland clear it, they only clear it ten meters. Yeah. And you're like, George, have another opportunity here, and then they blow it. But that last two That's minutes the... went so slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Paul O'Connell steals the line out. Paul O'Connell steals the line out. Huge steal. And most importantly, Isaac Boss then puts in a brilliant box kick. He does. That gets them outside the twenty-two, relieves the pressure, and puts you in a situation where Georgia are not going to score from. Yes. Anyone inside the twenty-two, they can just pick and go for thirty-eight phases, and yeah. eventually maybe get it held up, and then you know score off the scrum yeah. five after thirty more phases. But, but they're not scoring for thirty-five. Yeah, yeah. Meters. They're not making a line break. Yeah. You know? Like but, Boss. After being bollocked by Ogara, clearly picks his game up. Yeah. And that is a brilliant kick that is game-winning. On 79 minutes and 30 seconds, Abusa Ritza recognises this and puts up a really good bomb on Shane Horgan, who calls the mark and slices his kick into touch. So Georgia have their actual final throw of the dice as the clock uh, strikes 80, where they're just outside the 22, they've got a line out. It's a hell of a risky play, isn't it? Yeah. But you... 
looking at that Georgia team, it's the thing I said earlier, Georgia recognise their own weaknesses. Yeah. And so they play to them. They know they're not going to make a line break. Yeah. They know they're better off getting a line out where they can set a maul or something. Yeah. But what's mad about this is they, they do their maul and it doesn't go anywhere. Ireland put all their resources into that maul, you know, all units to the 15 metre line. Stop them dead. They go wide and Urshkash Vili makes a break. Phenomenal sidestep. Yeah. Out of nowhere. The first size that we've seen in the entire game, including like, Brian O'Driscoll. You want to go, oh, where's this been all game? Like, we know that it's been non-existent all game. Yes. We know that if they tried this earlier in the game, it would have gone horribly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But suddenly, when it really matters, By he's got bloody miracle. Shane Williams, Jason Robinson dancing feet. It's incredible. And Georgia, off the back of this line break, so David Wallace again goes in, tries to poach the ball illegally, and gets penalised for it by Wayne Barnes. And so on the 81st minute, Georgia have a penalty in the corner on the 22. And obviously they're four <laughs> points behind, so they can't go for goal. And this is why it's brilliant that they've introduced that law you can change. kick to touch. Changes everything. To have a line out. Because if Kivirkashvili puts that on the dot, it, it'll probably have to be on the dot of the five yeah, meter yeah. line. If he puts it any further out, and it's a difficult kick to nail, bear in mind, because of the angle. I don't know. I think actually the angle's ideal for it. You think? Yeah, to put The thing is, I back Kivirkashvili. Yeah. He's me such too. a good me kicker. Uh, he's so accurate. And it doesn't require any, it doesn't require them to welly it. It just requires a little bit of precision. And Georgia would have then had an op- another opportunity to go for the line out, have a catch and drive, have a maul, which we all know would have happened. And it would have just been literally a dice roll. Are they going to win this game? Are Ireland going to jump and steal the ball? Or are they going to have their forwards in the correct area where they form the mall, the correct area but where they jump to stop it? If they could go for the mall, it gives you a Japan 2015 going for the scrum moment. It does. Right? Instead, they've got a quick tap and try and work through 20 They've not practiced feet. a tap move. No. They just go, okay, well, I'll tap this ball and then let's think, who's our biggest carrier? Good God, sir, let's give it to him. And that's literally the speed they do it at. Yeah. Oh, that's a bit fast for them. <laughs> True. But point is, Ireland are like six or seven metres up. Yeah. From By the time it were. gets there. And it's very slow. And it means Ireland can just really sneakily kill the ball. Yeah. Like, they don't really need to do anything. They can just flop over. And as was far more common back then than it is now, the ball is just given as unplayable. Yeah. And that is the end of the game. It's kind of the precursor to a choke tackle, what they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's... Such an unfortunate end because it's so weird. No one knows how to feel about it. Yeah. The Irish players look kind of relieved, but they're not celebrating at all. And the Georgian players don't know either. No. Because so they just start fighting instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if in doubt. Yeah. But I was sort of watching the backs because they all kind of look like they don't look gutted and disappointed. Yeah. Because they know this is you know getting this losing bonus point is the first point they've ever got on the table in the which World is Cup. so commendable. So, so they did worth it against it. a tier one nation who were within one Van Sonclair try of winning the Six Nations, as I previously mentioned. Brilliant. And yet, they could have won it, and they should have won it. Yeah. They had so many chances to win it, and they didn't take any of them. Yeah. And it's one of those signs of why it's so hard for those teams to kick on. Yeah. Because you need to be taking more of those chances. You do. And they're not. And Ireland gave them everything they could. Like, Yeah. Ireland tried their about... best to shit the bed, and Georgia just couldn't. Georgia couldn't have scored a try from their own ball, their own attack if there was another 30 minutes in that game. It's one of these things that always bothers me, right? When I'll make a video, we'll make a video, and it'll be like, oh, how did this underdog team beat this team? And they'll go, oh, well, this team just shat the bed, and that's all it was. Yeah. Like, this game is perfect proof that a team can shit the bed harder than they ever have in their life. Like, that is widely regarded as maybe the worst performance in Irish rugby history. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's very contentious. One of the most well-known, um, terrible performances at the very least. Yeah, so, I mean... 
Dennis Hickey said they only get the comparables when they lost by 40 points to England okay. in Dublin. And that was the one, those were the two worst games wow. in his career. Worst performances he felt in his career. That's insane. And yet, Georgia couldn't take it. Georgia couldn't take it because yeah. you need to be of a certain quality to win those games. Yeah. And it's probably because they were so one dimensional, you know? Yeah. And as I say, they stuck to it. And that was the reason why they were in the game because they knew their strength and they played completely to it. But you do wonder if there was one time where they perhaps could have strung together a backs move just once in the game in that final play. Who knows? Because you need to do it once and you get five points. When the, the game is this low scoring, that's massive. But So Hickey said during that interview that with that team over the previous five or six years, I don't think we ever had such a subpar performance. There were one or two when we were developing, they mentioned the England game where they're beating 43-6, bloody bloody blah, but says, whereas this was a different thing. It was much more introspective. See, he is intelligent. He is intelligent. It was wondering why all this stuff that had worked so well for us, or we've been practicing and doing well in training, just wasn't clicking during games. The whole thing kind of started to slowly blow up from there. You had calls growing to sack Eddie O'Sullivan. Mm. Apparently the camp became more and more disenfranchised and he became apparently more dictatorial was the word used. Right. He Topical was, with yes. the Irish rugby head coaches, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It was very much, you know, it's it's my way or the highway. Uh, poor yeah. man management also mentioned, which sure. Funny that. Yeah. No comment. And all of it started to implode. However, when Ireland flew home shortly afterwards, right, when asked about this game, Anthony Foley, Munster captain at the time, was not a part of this team, was not in the Irish squad at the time, just said to the players when they got back, don't worry, lads, you're not the first Irish team to bring disgrace on the nation and you won't be the last. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. I love that guy. He's great. Great value. That's... Fucking hilarious. <laughs> Imagine saying that to Paul O'Connell. Only Anthony Foley could. Literally the only man who could have. Maybe, who was... no, not even Donald O'Callaghan, I reckon. No. It's literally Foley. Yeah, because I think O'Callaghan respects O'Callaghan enough that he would have punched him. You know, yes. we've got no, no, look, you know that I don't mean this about you as a person, but I deserve to hit you for that. Whereas Anthony Foley has the perfect blend of being massive and nails, but also the wit to him, you know, the intelligence. And I feel like the blend of all of those things is the only man who could have got away with that. So Munster. If Keith Earl said it, they probably would have gone, Keith. Yeah, who would have spear-tackled him in the next training session? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. What a story, Mark. (laughs) So, I think we should move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day. We should. But very difficult picks. Before we do, I want to nominate an anti-Dick of the Day. Okay. Which is, because he is a Dick of the Day contender, I think. He's got to be. Okay. Peter Stringer, however, was the only Irish player who'd come out and do an interview afterwards. Really? O'Driscoll wouldn't. Bloody O'Connor wouldn't. O'Gara wouldn't. They had to nominate someone. And in the end, out came Peter Stringer as the one player put his hand up to do the interview. Fair enough. Despite being the guy who threw the intercept pass. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of like anti- Like, we don't have an award for anti of the day. He's definitely not man of the match. No. But I want to give mention for that because I think that's to his credit, to enormous credit, for him yeah. to actually standing up and doing that and being interviewed on Irish TV. After being the guy who would have caught the most flack. Yeah. And like, I will level with you, he's my dick of the day. He's the only guy I wrote yeah. down because he threw both of those two passes, which one in the first half, one in the second half, ruined Ireland a little bit. Yeah, and like, it's with regrets that I give him dick of the day, especially mm. after that context, because that's extremely commendable. But I, I just have to. See, I can't look beyond Paul O'Connell. Really? Who I think penalty. repeatedly just gives away really dumb penalties. Yeah. Like, he gives away three penalties that are just 
so stupid. Yeah. And he's he's not his usual self at all. You mean the guy and who is playing under the alias Paul O'Connell? Yes. Is, is your and then guy. him coming in and screaming at his team at halftime. Yeah. And all of this blowing up. And just this... When you're in this situation, the thing you need is your leaders and your calm heads and everything. And O'Connell mm. is that. And for every other game of his career, he was that. And then for this one game, he imploded. Yeah. And he just wasn't himself at all. Yeah. And I just think there's like something about seeing Paul O'Connell be the antithesis of Paul sure, O'Connell sure. for me makes him my dick of the day. Fair enough. I would not Fair say enough. it to his face. No, no. But the bar is so insanely high for Paul O'Connell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally, we're talking... Maybe the best second row of all time. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the um, conversation, at the very least. Yes. So, yeah, we've both done a dick of the day. Man of the match is so hard to pick because, I mean, firstly... I think, next... I think there's 15 contenders. <laughs> yes. Next to that, I've just written, what a bloody test match. Incredible second half, Georgia. Considering and... Georgia win this game, is there a single... No, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Give... Not Considering yourself. Ireland win this game, is there a single Irish player in your contention for man of the match? Yes, there is a single okay. Irish player okay. in your contention okay. Okay. for man okay. of the match. Okay. I will list my there entire for me. man of the match contingent. Okay. In fact, I've only actually written down three, but the long list would have been just so Georgian. There are, there would be as many Irish players in the long list as I have in the short list. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll put okay. it that way. One of them is Marab Kavirkashvili, I think. Mm-hmm manages the game really well. I think that they're not doing nearly as well as that if they have a different fly half. Without him, they aren't going forward quite as much as they are, you know. Another one is Malkas Urjikashvili. Yes. I think is amazing. Like I don't think we've quite done it justice in the I don't think pod. We, have. we haven't really talked we've just said he got big boot and he yeah. and just one step. But just like the hits he was putting in he's constantly. Immense. He's absolutely immense. Yeah. And like, he's the one, no, one of the two Georgian players who has a degree of speed mm. to him. <laughs> the, the other being Shkinin, of course. And just like, yeah, the, the tactical kicks he was putting in were fantastic. And that puts him as one of the top two for me alongside Brian O'Driscoll. Okay. And it would feel so wrong to give Brian O'Driscoll man of the match in the Ireland embarrassment game. But Ireland did eventually win it. Mm. And he was, for me, by such a long stretch, and it doesn't necessarily mean he's man of the match, the best player on the field, right? Yeah. But the thing is, it's like, well, yeah, of course he was the best player on the field. He's, he's Brian O'Driscoll. He's like the best player ever. Of course he's the best player on the field. He literally just is. He's the best player on the field. Why are you surprised that he's a, he's been the player who has played the best in this game? What? Why is that a surprise? Does he deserve a man of the match award for that? No, he's Brian O'Driscoll. Like, yeah, so... Before I start the speech, I was going to say Brian O'Driscoll is my man of the match, and I'm currently talking myself out of it. You tell me who your man of the match is, and I'll decide mine after after that. Okay, 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 okay. okay. So I think the names you mentioned all excellent. Brian O'Driscoll's good, but who gives a shit? It's my official take on that. So Mab Kuga have actually very close. As I think he's brilliant. Yeah, I want to mention both second rows: Mukugodze. And then Ilya Zedgani. Zedgani's brilliant, isn't he? Phenomenal. What he's like, asked to do. Yeah, what he's asked but, to do. He does his job so, so well. Yeah. I just thought he was absolutely great captain as well. Just, yeah. So I didn't know before this World Cup that he was the captain at one point. Because obviously we seen him in 2011 as like second choice when he was, you know, the legs were even yeah, slower. Yeah. But yeah, he's been brilliant. I thought he was two games. I thought he was fantastic. He was like a proper contender for me. He was very close to yeah. being it. However, I think in the end, it comes down to between two names similar to yourself. One of which is again, Urshikashvili. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, who is just phenomenal immense every part of his game all cylinders firing i know who you're about to give it to 
and I'm I'm quite torn as well between these two. I know who the my other, other guy. My other guy is Georgie Skinner. Yes, I can't believe the two guys you've singled out on the outside centre and the right winger <laughs> in for this Georgia. game. For this Georgia team, we spent two hours talking about how shit their backline is, and you've just gone, yeah, best player in the field, yeah. Well, it's one of two, but it's either they're thirteen for the the amazing uh, skill set he showed and the pace, or it's their winger for being like fucking rapid and stuff. I just you're think, a joke. Like, this is a game of moments. I, I think. think you don't disagree with anything yeah. you've said. That's this is a thing. game of big moments, right? I don't want they're ten as well. It's the backs. This is a game that's decided by like seven big moments. Yeah. And most of it's kind of holding pattern and kicking back and forth and like phases in the middle of the game whilst they're waiting for these moments to come. I really enjoyed it for that. Yeah. I think this is like one of the best games of the tournament. I love it. I, I love really, it. really enjoyed this yeah. game. I expected it to be shit, I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah. I knew it was low scoring. But I, I really enjoyed this so game. So good. And I don't Peter think Tesla anyone produces more big moments than George Skinner. Yeah, I love he it. has a, one brilliant kick, two brilliant tackles. And then his run in the first half that completely changed the momentum, leads to the yellow card, yeah. and in the try that puts and Georgia lead Ireland, you know, yeah. changes that one of the most historic moments. It's great rationale to get around the match. I don't think there's anyone who has as many moments that stand out as Skinnin. At the same time, Urjikashvili, I think, was the best performance on the field. If I'm doing player ratings, right, he's getting the highest player rating. Yeah, sure. But if I'm picking man of the match for this stupid podcast, I think I'm giving it to Georgie Skinnin. It was Fair the Georgie Skinnin game after all. I love it. I love it. I'm, I think I'm gonna go bod, even though. Oh, you're the boring. boring thing ever. Bottle up. But no one cares. Boo. <laughs> it's just. Boo. <laughs> He just, Booed. he just is the best player on the pitch for me. Booed. Oh, I, I hate myself for doing it. That is the most controversial man of the match selection since Colin Deans. <laughs> Boo. Girl, why don't you give Colin Deans your man of the match? Yeah, alright then. Why don't you give it to bloody Robert De Niro as cabbage? Can we at least give half a point each to a Cashville? So yeah, so he gets point. one point. Yeah, there we go. I'm a good Yeah, let's shake yeah. hands. Yeah, Deal. let's do that. Okay. Shook hands. So he's just got an extra vote from, hey, the... hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we ask the guy? Yeah, yeah. The guy yeah. from Total Rugby. Do you approve from that guy from Total Rugby? My man of the match. Would be Malakaras Urzikashvili. There we go. He's he was exceptional with his kicking game. Yes, agreed. Thanks for that, dude, whatever your name is. I hope you have a lovely life. You too, man. You can go away and do foreign things again if you want now. Oh, we did it. We got there. We did it. Bloody rugby, innit? Yeah, that was, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I, a hell of a game. Like one of the games that is actually worth watching again for this tournament. Unless you're Irish. If you're Irish, do not watch it. Yes. Just enjoy the success your current team is having, the men's team. One of the games that we will have to watch for this tournament. Okay. Next week, Scotland 42, Romania nil. <laughs> Let's go. Let's this- go podcast is the worst idea anyone has ever had it's not even football if we're doing the football world cups people might care about that they might be interested in that there might be some sort of like rare curiosity no we're doing it for rugby union the only way we could get worse we're doing it for rugby league hey you leave my sport out of this i shall not instead i shall wish us a georgie skinning themed good night <laughs> because for this once this once only but Island Lee, Georgia. Enjoy your Georgie skin in parties. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.